Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And we're back with another Pat Show. We're talking Whitecaps. We're talking CF Montreal, we're talking MLS, CONCACAF Champions League, Canadian Professional Players Union, and a lot more besides. It is an absolutely busy, busy time of year. The MLS season gets underway in just over a week. There's a good chance that we might actually end up bringing you three podcasts between now and first kick. And don't forget, we will be doing our live watch-along for the first game against Portland on Sunday, April the 18th. So make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel to find out all the details of that. But before we get into any of that, we start every show by opening Steve's gift, his Christmas gift, the gift that keeps giving, the the Sine Nyasi Christmas gift, we're, we're going to start calling it now. It's the 2011 Upper Deck Soccer Cards, he bought Zach and me a whole box. We've been opening a pack at the start of every show. So let's get into opening this episode's pack. Uh, let's, yeah. let's see how many of these players wish they had a stronger players union. I, uh, I, uh, we should start doing like our best 11 comparisons. Oh, yeah. You could put together 11. Oh, of the packs that full, we open. Oh, yeah. Full 18 or maybe even. We'll do that from the next show. So let, let's get this pack open. Zach's got a helper again. His son Kirk is opening the sticker pack. My wife decided to go to bed as opposed to open packs with me. And we've we've got some legendary names so far. And my very first one. No Whitecaps, though. Not yet, but I mean, who? No, knows? no Whitecaps that actually played a game. As we know, the Sandy Nassi was. Yeah, and no, I don't have any Whitecaps marked cards either. Oh, I th- tell you what. I just had a quick look at who I've got in this pack. And this is another pack with some legends. I'll go first this time because yep. Zach always goes first. I'm going from back to front. Number 77. He was three years with the Wizards when this card came out, but they had rebranded to Sporting KC by then. It's Roger Espinosa. Oh, oh, very good player. He was sold at one point to Europe too, right? Wasn't he uh, sold to Europe and then brought back? Yeah. I have a, I have a, uh, a player, a midfielder, who 
com combines the best of both of you. His name is Michael Stevens from oh. Galaxy. Now, this is a guy I have no recollection of at all. Uh, he's Serbian from Red Star Belgrade with New York Revolution. Joined them in 2010. Marco, New York? Marco Perovic. New England Revolution. Oh, did I say New York? Yeah, you said New York Revolution. Uh, my, my last card was a midfielder and it said MF on the back. And this one's also a midfielder, but it just says M. Yeah, my next midfielder just says M as well. Well, maybe maybe that guy was a midfielder forward. That's what it meant. Okay. Maybe it meant something completely different that I won't say because your son's in the room. I got Emmanuel Ekbo from the Columbus Crew. I remember this guy. Oh. Yeah, I do too. Good player. This is an FC Dallas player for me next. Eric Avia. Oh, yeah. Was he... Wait, wait, he played somewhere else. Uh, where did he play? Oh, DFC. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, he, I think he did. Uh, I think he was traded or something in DFC. The next, actually, this is one of my biggest card of uh, of this packet so far. Um, but it is a flounder. So two. This is my second flounder in our, of our four packs so far. Uh, and this is one of the guys they brought over from Europe. He's uh, is he a Swiss international? Anyways, uh, striker. Blaze and Kofu. Oh. You remember him? No, I don't remember him that well. Well, he actually now calls Vancouver home, and he's the head coach of Reno's Tigers in VMSL. Also runs an academy here in Vancouver as well. So that's a, that's a nice little card to get. You could even get that one autographed if you wanted, Zach. Well, in 2010, I guess it would have been, he played 11 games and scored five goals. I don't think he lasts long. I think it was the end of near the, the end of or near the end of his career. Yeah, Eric. Just to let you know, Eric Avia did play with TFC and ended his MLS career with Chivas. Uh, and he's actually last year he played for San Diego. Well, oh. funny you should mention Chivas because my next card is a rookie card. It's Ooh. a guy that joined Chivas in 2011, went on to play for Montreal, had a spell in Europe, came back to play for Portland, still in the league all these years later with Houston Dynamo. It's a guy that's actually a lot of fun to talk to, Zarek Valentin. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Without the moustache. Too young to grow it then, obviously. Uh, my next one is a dude I actually don't remember well. Defender from the San Jose Earthquakes of the old logo, Brandon McDonald. Let's call him Ronald. Oh. I think he was a center back. He's a cloud. Yeah, it's his defender. Oh, he played for the Galaxy, too. That would be oh, awkward two teams to play for. So my last card was a guy that's currently with Houston. My next card is a guy that's retired now, but is a legend at Houston. It's only Brian oh, Ching. Nice. Oh, uh, that's a that's a yeah. You've got great players. Yeah, Brandon uh, Brandon is one. still is actually still playing. He's playing for Hanoi FC, Vietnamese V League. Oh, B. Okay, uh, I have a guy who this is B. His, this is his TFC card. Uh, and I think I seem to remember when he was in TFC, he complained. He was kind of like a like a K banjo. He, I, I seem to remember him complaining in some of our first year Whitecaps. I, he, I, he, I thought he complained a little about the city or being in Canada or whatever. I know he went to uh, Kansas City later, but this is midfielder Jacob Peterson. Oh, the thing is, most most of the especially the young players complain about is the fact that you don't get ESPN here. Yeah, I remember that's that. The, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing all the time. So here's my last card, and this is my first woman 
that I've got in my card so far. A legend, you may Another say. Another legend. Neaham? From Western New York Flash, Christine Sinclair. Oh, huge one. That's a big one. Oh, that's the best card we've got in the whole thing. Oh, ho. Sadly, it's not a rookie card or anything, because getting that autograph well, would have been nice. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if they had cards back when the rookies were... Mm, true. Next guy I have, my last guy I have is probably the biggest player in this pack, or guy who contributed most in MLS anyways. Uh, he, this is his San Jose Earthquakes card, but he had uh, also played for Toronto. Midfielder Sam Cronin. Oh, yeah. Oh. You guys remember him? Yes. Sam was Cronin, he not the one always... that got flipped over by Nigel Rio Coker? Oh. It was Cronin. Sorry, I just heard it oh. It was Cronin. I have the video here with uh, Peter Shad and David Norman doing the commentary. Superb. So, Michael. Oh. Tackle, I'm tackle of the decade, that one. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, we, uh, I might put together, maybe it's not this week or next week, like my best 11 uh, that I have so far. And then you can go your best 11. Oh, because I do have a goalkeeper, so that's always a start. Because I know I got Donovan Ricketts out of an earlier pack. Yeah, you sure, got Bill sure. Hamid too? Oh, yeah, you, yes. I should oh. check. Maybe I don't have a keeper. So wait till you get all the positions filled and then say, Lynn, put it together, maybe. Yeah, let me just check. Don't go sticking my Eric Hasley card in. And then, and then, oh, and then each each week you get a better player, you replace the player. And yeah, you have to call that out. Oh, I like that on Twitter. Yeah. Okay, we should probably wait till we've opened five packs then, because that would be in the next show. Okay. And then the part? show after we can have our best eleven. And I just I just saw the tackle. I just saw the tackle right now, and it's hilarious because he he does the tackle. And he's like, and the referee's like, going, go keep playing. What are you guys stopping for? Keep playing. Everybody's oh. like complaining. That's the kind of tackle that on VAR, it would be interesting to see what they, they looked at if they, if they oh, took the, that back. But the referee had a great view of the thing. Mm. He hit all ball. Because you can see in the pictures too that he hit all ball. The, the second most memorable thing that Nigel Rio Coker did whilst he was a white cap. I would say, uh, I'd say ball top right three. Top. Top three because he did oh, that wanking well, off thing to yes. that one time. I made a yeah. gift of that. Yeah, that is probably his third most. That's like his third, his in his top three. The third one is the only actual football related thing. We could yeah. do a Nigel Rico Flash Five one day. <laughs> we could do a whole show of just us opening cars because I enjoy this. I'm Are not you? sure the listeners would, but but I know you're not here to listen to us open packs of football cards on the podcast. As exciting as that may be. You're here for the football chat, so let's get straight into it. The Whitecaps have continued their pre-season preparations down in Utah. Still not with a full squad, but they've got their first pre-season game under their belts. A 3-0 win over USL Championship side Real Monarchs. Tuesday's game saw a pretty comfortable win over the USL side, Lucas Cavallini got things underway in the third minute with a, a well-taken goal. Christian Dahomey scored from the spot in the 57th minute. Then Eric Godoy headed home a third in the 71st minute. I mean, you can't obviously read too much into the first pre-season game, especially against lower league opposition, but this was also a, a makeshift Whitecaps team. So, I mean, the game wasn't streamed. From the highlights that we've seen, from what we've read, it, it seemed a, a very solid first outing. Something for the, the side to build on. They face a couple more friendlies on Saturday, both of which will be streamed. A couple of games in Bridgeview, Illinois, 
It's a double header. The first match is against Chicago Fire, kicking off at 9.30 Pacific time. That's followed by a game against another USL Championship side. This time, one managed by a former Whitecaps boss, Martin Rennie. His Indy 11 side will take on the Caps at 12 noon. Our recent guest, Gerson Kofi, I'm sure will be keen to impress the Whitecaps in that one as he plays against his former side. MDS has, has promised two very different teams. It's going to be a, a younger team, I think, facing off against Indy 11 and more the kind of regular first team guys or who you might be expecting to to be in the starting 11 for first kick, taking on Chicago in that first match. The games, as I mentioned, will be streamed on the Whitecaps website, so make sure you're tuned in for those. It'll give us a, a better understanding of kind of how the chemistry is with the team just now and everything that goes with that. Still a lot of work, though, to do for the Whitecaps. MDS spoke to, to media on Wednesday, admitted the team is not going to be at their best for first kick for the first couple of games. Made all the harder by their first two opponents, of course, being two teams that are in Champions League action this week. More on that later in the show. But as first kick approaches, it's an exciting time. We always like to have a, a sit-down chat with head coach Mark DeSantis before the season gets underway. Got a chance to do that on Thursday afternoon. So we're going to bring you the first part of that just now. So go make your favourite hot beverage, grab your favourite biscuit, preferably a chocolate digestive, sit back, put your feet up and enjoy our chat with MDS. Thanks for, for joining us as always, Mark. I know it's super busy. You've got a couple of games coming up at the weekend and you've got a busy week, media stuff next week. But I guess first thing to ask is like, how has life been in Utah? Did your family come down with you? Are you all together just now or did they stay back here? They stayed back uh, in Vancouver because of school. We just felt it's better for the kids to they're in a good school. They're happy. They 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 have friends, and we don't want to move everything for a few months. Um, but we're now waiting to see what's going to happen with the, the situation in BC. If, if for some reason the schools close for a few weeks, well, if they're going to have class in Zoom, uh, we'll try to fly them in here and spend at least three weeks with me while the schools are closed. But it's a day-to-day that we're trying to follow follow up what's going to happen in BC. Um, we're all slowly adapting. The first three, four days have been are in the sleeping pattern. We all kind of felt it. Apparently, we read some stories and, and spoke with performance that there's uh, altitude affects the, uh, the sleeping pattern and that wasn't easy. I don't know if it's only because of altitude, but also new bed, new apartment. Not everybody slept very well. Adaptation also to training, adaptation to another field. Fields are very good, but very dry right now. So very little rain in Utah. Uh, and and we hope that changes because it's been the, the fields have gotten dry very quickly. The weather is very dry, the altitude, but for sure it was the right decision to come a couple of weeks before to really get used to all of this. And I think by by the 18th, we'll be used to all of it. It was important to play uh, the Monarchs right away uh, because we get uh, a game in our legs right away in a certain environment. Um, 
but look, uh, Michael, when you in the last two years, you're the Vancouver Whitecaps, let's not forget Vancouver, and you spend time living in Orlando and living in Portland and now living in Salt Lake, it makes it incredibly challenging and weird, I would say, uh, in our in our new new dynamic of sports. Yeah, I, I've spoken to a couple of guys that used to play for my team in Scotland, East Five. One played with RSL, one played with Colorado. They said it was weird adjusting, but by the end of it, they'd never been fitter. It's like that was the fittest they had been in their whole footballing career. So I guess you've got that on the one side. On the flip side, you've got the mental health side of it. Like Even if your family's with you, it's still a new environment. It's a strange environment. What are, what are the club doing to, to work with the guys, coaches and everything, just to make sure that the mental health side of it is kind of taken care of? Well, first of all, the biggest thing the club did is once this happened, the first concern of the club was the families of the players. Um, right away, they said, hey, we can't let the players have only the option of being alone and that's it. And I think that right away there was a huge sign of uh, of keeping a healthy environment. I know of a lot of players that the wives are here and, and staff members that wives are spending time together while we're in training. Uh, it brings peace of mind to the player. It brings peace of mind to staff. Uh, and at the same time, the players are able to feel that they're a little bit at home. We worked... The, the, our staff work to the point of being concerned of bringing their pets. You know, some players brought their dogs in and cat. And, and I think all of that shows how much the club is doing to make sure that the player has the right mindset. The majority of our players are young. We have an incredibly young roster. So let's say for a kid like Daber, when I was speaking with him, he told me, Mark, between playing in Salt Lake and Vancouver, if there's no fans, he says, I don't care. I just want to play and help the team. The same with Kyle. Of course, now if the fans were, were in, it makes a big difference for us to play home. Uh, but right now, because there's no fans, the, the players that are not married, um, for them it's easy, the transition. Uh, but it brings a stress, Michael, mentally, it brings a, a stress of not being home and being away and knowing that at a certain point, you're going to have to move again. Um, we have to say that the last year and a half has been incredibly challenging. And I'm only speaking Vancouver right now, but I'm very aware in conversations at with coaches and I had a very good one with even Thierry Henry when just before he, he left Montreal of how much impact and stress and mentally what happens in a group and I, I sympathize with Montreal and Toronto and know what they're feeling so it's not comfortable but sports has completely changed right now and, and we have to accept that. It's such a weird situation though as well because like last year when you guys went down there I, I kind of was worried for you because of everything that was happening in the States now it seems you're going to a place where it's better than, than what's happening here 
we hoped you were coming back maybe at the end of the three months, but things seem to have got out of control here, so I guess that's all up in the air. That uncertainty hanging over, it's like, will we be back in three months? Will it be the whole year? I mean, I know you can only speak for you personally, but but what does that kind of do to your mindset? Or have you just, do you just accept it now? Our, our players and staff, what we're, we're doing is we make sure that the, the conversation in the locker room and the, the mindset of the locker room is what are we doing and where we want to be until May, May 22nd. May 22nd is when that first break comes in. Uh, the international break and we're putting all our focus on the games until May 22nd and that allows us to just stay focused on the moment like if we were in a let's say Michael a competition of two months let's say our competition ends May 22nd and our 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 focus is until then and how many points can we get how far can we be in the standings Uh, and then breathe in the international break, assess things, are we coming back home, are we staying here, and not trying to look too far. If we try to look too far, it brings anxiety, it brings questioning, it brings guys already thinking, okay, I have to move again, I have to get, uh, some guys left their their mortgage, their, 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 their rental. So some guys, when they go back, they have to rent an apartment again and an house again. Oh, wow. So that transition, if you start thinking too much about that, it's it's not it's not easy. If you think about players that are don't have an house that they bought in Vancouver, why would they continue renting something when they don't know yet when they're gonna come back? Me, it's different. I continue with the house we're renting in Vancouver because my family and kids are there, but maybe I would have changed my approach if they would all be here. So of course it brings questioning, but we have to, what we decide to do is a short target and a short objective. And right now is where do we want to be on May 22nd after that game against Houston? Well, looking at the the start to the season, I think, You've spoken a lot about the frustrations with the preseason. Everything's out your hands in terms of quarantine and, and and players arriving. I like what you said yesterday. It's like there's no point getting worked up about it because because it is what it is. But at what point do, you, do you, like if we look at May twenty second, do you think by that point you're gonna have the team you want on the pitch, yes. ready and at the level that you want? Uh, there's one player that we hope we could get that is there in that period. Now, when we don't know, it's all things that dynamics that were working. And I said it before, you know, for the people that are not very aware of how the dynamics of soccer work, when you want to better your team and your roster with players, going after a certain position, it's not like going to buy a car or going to buy a shirt. The dynamics of the transfer window and when the player is doing well and interest from other clubs, it's always, uh, uh, you could maybe have the chance to get a player on Sunday. And if you don't do it on Sunday, 
then Wednesday is not available anymore. And it's in that dynamic makes it that it's hard for me to tell you right now if we will have all the roster on the 22nd. But what I'm sure is that the guys like Caio, like Bruno, like David Egbo, uh, like Ali that is still in, in Vancouver, uh, the new players that like Caicedo, uh, these are guys that I'm sure they're going to be fully integrated in the way we want to play uh, when, when that time comes, I think even before. Um, but uh, I think we'll be very, very close, yes, to have the, the team that I, I wish we could have and playing the way I want us to play in that part of the season for sure. Yeah, it, it was funny reading all the media coverage when Seattle couldn't get Rui Diaz in on time and it's like, it's like that's one player. Vancouver's had this for years with multiple players and it's like it doesn't make the news cycle but I guess that that's it is what it is I guess this is this is a good time to ask you the question that everyone keeps asking you and you've addressed it a lot about the number 10 I put a question out on Twitter before we chatted today that if you could ask MDS just one question what would it be and so many of the replies were what is happening with the number 10 when is the number 10 coming and I don't want to labour the point. I know you've covered it a lot. There's probably not too much more that, that you can say, but what what can you tell us, Mark? The 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 process of us. It's like I, I don't want fans that are also interested in this position. If you ask that and they ask you a question, I want to answer all the questions. And the the number ten. So I spoke about. I use the number ten because I feel it's very comfortable for everybody. Uh, even if I disagree totally with the, I disagree with the, the profile based with a number, just because remember when we were talking or in general, we were talking about a number six and you had number six that were incredibly successful, like Makelele in years of Chelsea, but you also had Busquets in the years of Barcelona. Both are number six, but the profile totally different uh, from Fernando Redondo to Kante, Makelele to Busquets, all number six. Uh, so for me, it's more important as a coach to talk about characteristics than just, just talking about a number. Actually, the number 10 in the world is disappearing. The traditional number yeah. is disappearing. Um I was looking at the numbers. I gave an example with Bruno Fernandes. I, I was looking at his physical data against Manchester City. Um, he was, as an attacking player, the, the, the player that um, ran more distance on the field, did more sprints, uh, more high-speed high running. Uh, so when I talk about the famous position number 10, I talk about a characteristic. Characteristic means... What do we want from this player? Uh, we want a player, and I, I think I already spoke about this, that has the ability um, to give tempo to our team in the opponent's half. A player that has vision uh, in the last third, a player that has quality in the last pass, a player that has quality on set play situation, uh, delivery on set place. Uh, also a player that is very team-oriented when the team doesn't have the ball. So 
I'm describing a lot of a player that plays in between lines, links the midfielder in the attack. Then if people want to call it a second forward, the number 10, an offensive midfielder, um, that's up to, to people to say that. But I think it was very clear on the profile. So since Inbom left uh, and Axel was in, me and Axel right away, we identified that this is a need. Uh, we had a lot of struggle in the window of two, the summer window of 2020 based on the COVID outburst. It was the world had changed. It was very different. And Inbom had just get, been sold. And we didn't have all the scouting tools that we have now to really go in to make that research. Uh, in the winter, we were pretty confident that we would get the right one. And we actually identified and tried to go after um, some players that were different challenges. So we identified the right ones. We went after players. And then there's other situations in, in the league that you have to deal with discovery uh, list. Oh, yeah. And Don't start me on that. <laughs> so, so I want you to know that we also went into making work and wanting players that unfortunately we were not first in discovery and that brings another challenge and then brings frustration and you go from a player that you detect and you go after not going after another one so that brings us here that we're in uh, April and still in the work and still in the 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 the, the fight to get that player uh we have another one that we identified, two players that were kind of in a dating process. And hopefully it's finally, we're finally going to get the one we want. So we're still in the process. Was, I hope with all of this, I answered the situation yeah. with number 10. Well, I, I think that's pretty much covered that. I think that's also a pretty good time to take a little break. We will be back Talking more of Whitecaps with MDS after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Oh, where the geeks are is where I want to be hanging in the basement of the school library. When I'm at home in school is where I want to be. When I was just a Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. 
And kicking off this part, it's the latest song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, from Washington DC, Blast Off Country Style, and that's a song taken from their 1994 album, Rainbow Mayonnaise Deluxe. And that was a song called Where the Geeks Are. And it's certainly a, a time of year that I like to geek out. I love pre-season. I love the build-up to pre-season. Next week is going to be absolutely packed with conference calls across the league. MLS are putting a lot on. We'll bring you as much as we can from that that I feel is going to be of interest to everyone in some podcasts and some extra podcasts. So keep your eyes peeled for those. Interestingly, in all the conference calls that MLS are putting on next week with with managers, with like front office officials, with players, as of now, on their listing and their rundown, no white caps are taking part in any of the calls, which kind of probably shows just how much they value the white caps at, at MLS front office. If you want to have a chip on your shoulder, it's stuff like that that gives you it. Hopefully it gives the team a lot of motivation as well just to prove all the doubters wrong and just to show that the Whitecaps should be taken seriously this season because I genuinely feel they should. We're still a couple of pieces away, I think, from being a really strong contender, obviously that number 10. But as I said, I'm, I'm excited to see what this team can do in the pitch when they're in full flow and they've got all their personnel there. So let's get back to chatting to Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis now as we continue to talk all things Whitecaps ahead of the 2021 MLS season. So let, let's look at what you've got, you know who you've got coming in or who you want to have coming in. How improved do you see the team being this year from last year? Yes, so I, I answered in somebody yesterday uh, this question. When I, in 2019, it was as a coach the blurriest that I was. Uh, If I think about all the other years I coached, it was really hard to find an identity. And uh, I took a lot of blame on me on that. 352, 433, 4-2-3-1, changing a lot. And then trying to figure out uh, the, 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 the amount of players that were changing the roster made me doubt a lot about the type of identity. I knew what I wanted as a coach, but to get there, it wasn't good. And then in the beginning of 2020, we had uh, a preseason and a tournament in Portland going exactly in the direction that we wanted with a very clear identity. We lose the game against against Kansas City home, but that game could have could have finished 2-2 uh, when it was 2-1. Kava hits the post. Then Kava alone with Tim Melia. Tim does a, a, a great save. And at the end, in injury time, Kansas scores. And then we answer very well. We went to LA and we win the game 1-0. We even missed a penalty shot, a game that we totally deserved to win. Then it's COVID in a moment that we feel all good about ourselves. And uh, MLS is back, totally divides the group, not emotionally, not like we had problems in the locker room, just the the problem of some players not going for personal reason. And then we went to MLS's back, totally in a survival mode. And then I, there I had to 
totally get away from model of play and just find a way to survive to get results. We end up, I think, one of the nicest stories in Orlando to get out of our group and play with a very young group, Kansas City, and almost knocking them out. Uh, nice stories came out of, of that, like Thomas. But then when we joined the group back uh, in, uh, in uh, the Canadian series, it was incredibly disjointed. It was very hard to see. Painful the travel to Toronto and Montreal. But we still come back uh, here uh, in Vancouver and get two out of the three wins. Two out of the three games were wins. So then we're able to start designing back what we want it to be about in Portland. And what we did in Portland is we stuck with something. We stuck with a model uh, based in a, a model that defended in a 4-4-2, attacked in a 4-2-3-1. At Freddie playing that role more of the attacking midfielder or second forward, playing more in pockets that we wanted more of a steady lineup, more of a continuity. And that showed in the results where we were able to, in the last 10 games, accumulate points that put us very close of making the playoffs. Uh, we finished not, not making the playoffs by three points. And that's where we left it. And that's where we're building everything now, moving forward. So I expect us to have a team playing very close or to the identity of when we were in Portland, but of course, improved. Improved because we have uh, better options in many positions. So now in the right back, you have Jake, Javain Brown, you have Bruno, you have Guti, you have Ali, now you have uh, between Ranko, Derek, Godoy, and Andy, center backs. You have a lot of competition and quality in the midfield. Guti is a new player. Baldi is a new player. You have Leo and Bikel, that is the second year. You have Caio, that is a player with a lot of quality that's going to come in. Uh, wide, you have Rusty, you have Caicedo, you have Dajo. You have now up top... Uh, between Tio, between Ryan Raposo, between um, Kava, between Egbo, Toss. Now what we've developed is not only we have continuity, but we also have a group that has a lot of competition. And where I think it's going to be better, it's because of the sum of the parts are going to make the team better. Uh, if you improve a little bit in every position, then together you improve the team. And we're still looking for a player that could make everything tick even a little bit more in the final third. So what is difficult for me to answer you is that when is all of that going to gel and start getting together? Right now, what's hard for me, it's, and I hate talking about it because I don't want to be perceived as a guy that has an excuse because I never hide from challenges. But the reality is that Bruno didn't train one session. Egbo didn't train one session. Caio didn't train one session. That's just a fact. And until we don't have these pieces together, 
it's 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 hard to get the full picture of it but i have a lot of belief in the process and a lot of belief on on what we're doing i mean f- from looking in it it looks exciting as to what could be this year and obviously a lot of it is going to get the chemistry get the rhythm up, up to to grabs and we know that the, the first month the first three four games it's not it's not going to be there you, not, you want to keep the process you want to keep this the set formation and the the system that you've got but are those early games is it maybe going to be a case of like needs must you might have to play a formation that you wouldn't want to play just because of who you've got available you see this is this is where as a club me and axel and the staff we decided not to bend if we right. have to play other young players in a certain position but now changing again and we're working in an identity the players are feeling comfortable we have to do the job of bringing the players that are going to help us maximize our model and if we start in the first game trying to survive we're already in the first games getting away from what we want to be about and that's something that is non-negotiable this year we want to be about something we'll will force and move forward to be about something even if sometimes we have to play younger players have to give chances to younger players that's what we're going to do the, the 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 thing that's difficult is that our first two games had to be against teams that right now it's just the reality that their yeah. rhythm is different than different than our we play two teams that play in champions league right now and, we, and looked sharp. I mean, they looked excellent. Of course. And two teams that uh, did what they had to do to get in Champions League. And of course, that when you play exhibition games, it's not the same that when you play in Honduras against Marathon or in Lyon in Mexico, where now you're playing to qualify for something. This is what I said before we will be the most ready that we can be. That I guarantee. And the player's mentality is like that. What's exciting though is our group is young and I feel our group is incredibly dynamic. So when I see training sessions and even if we played the Monarchs, that is an opponent opponent of a lower level than us, but our approach to the training and even to exhibition games or n- nobody cheats is energetic it's uh, everybody is committed everybody wants to do well the the players run the players press the players work and that's what i say we have to be as much ready as we can but like i said since they won a preseason the challenges have been from the national team, the Olympic tournament, having 14 guys uh, that are from the academy. And we're not Barcelona Academy or Ajax that you all the 14 are incredible. You know, it gets diluted sometimes and it's just the reality. And then um, we had the struggle with visas, with players not being in on time. All of that, we cannot hide. That is a fact that has made it incredibly challenging uh, for us but we're working hard with the players to be very ready for the 18. It's maybe not the, the sexy 
thing to to say when you're talking about team improvements. But for me, the most exciting thing is in the defensive side, just because the last three, maybe even four seasons, the goals that the, the team have shipped have it's been incredible. I know the Monarchs game preseason; it's like the it's a lower level opposition, but defensively the team looked good. What what are you expecting to see? defensively that's going to make the team better no it's a great question and if you look at if you go back to see the last 10 games again in portland i think there was already a huge improvement there yeah a huge improvement if you take away some moments i'll give you an example before andy rose and eric godoy get sent off in the game in san jose we're actually in the first half the better team on the field. And then we can see the goal. Eric gets sent off, Andy gets sent off, and San Jose scores two goals when we're nine against 11. And then you also add the game uh, that we played home with only two days of recovery, home in Portland against Seattle, where we had to rotate totally the team. That's another game we concede two goals. But other than that, you see a huge improvement. Where I want to see an improvement from the last years is our ability to be able to defend further from our box. Um, And that is only done with a dynamic group that has the ability to press in the medium or higher block. That I want to see a huge improvement. Uh, Shots conceded, crosses conceded. And of course, that you know, again, I go back the game against the Monarchs where it was we were a better team and we had to win the game. Uh, but until the minute 60, we hadn't conceded one shot, not one cross came in the box. So these are the 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 par- the, the the little things we take that we want to bring to Chicago and keep improving because Chicago is going to be a game that's going to allow to see us also where we're at numbers of shots conceded and crosses conceded and to see how we could keep improving that until we arrive in Portland. Looking at all the the previews for the the year, the MLS website does their previews for the year and all the experts on there had the team between 9th and 13th in the West. Do you use that as motivation with the guys saying, look, no one's given us a chance and take it you firmly believe it you've got the quality that this can be a playoff team this year. I think as soon as we're going to get our last piece, we will have the quality when everybody together to be a playoff team. But I'm not, uh, I'm not. uh, Yeah, I'm not going to put you on the spot to say definitely where you think they're going to. No, no, because, (laughs) you know, when you're in your, you have to be in your bubble focusing on your team and knowing that, Houston didn't make the playoffs and they improved. Uh, LA Galaxy didn't make the playoffs and they improved. This is not only about Vancouver. Yes, we want to make the playoffs, but we're also aware that in the West, everybody wants to make the playoffs. And the battle in the West is incredibly strong to make the playoffs. Uh, I think many good teams in the West will not make the playoffs. 13, six teams that are good teams are still not going to make the playoffs. We have to do everything as a club to give ourselves a chance to be in that top seven. Uh, But I think that when everybody's going to be together, 
And if we're finally able to get uh, this last piece, I think we're going to put our club in a situation to definitely fight for that top seven spot, uh, to stop uh, seven spots. Yeah, it feels like a season that there isn't really a standout favourite. Anyone could win the West. And when you get into the playoffs, it's just really form and, and stuff. I I wanted to ask just about Nikas Overhill coming in and the scouting department and everything like that. How big a difference is this going to be for you now moving forward? And how much less work is it for you? Or are you still doing no, everything that you were doing? It's just that it's it's unrealistic to think that a club is run uh, with a coach with a few contacts and at this at this level that's enough to run a club. And uh, what I say is that it is not the same club today in 2021 that when I arrived in 2019. And this, you know, if you say something like that, people could think, "Oh, he's attacking people." No, I'm not attacking nobody. Uh, it, we are not the same club in 2019 and 2021. We're different. We have a sporting director. We have a scouting department, not only with Nikos. Nikos is Ed, but with other guys that do an incredible job. Uh, I just met with them for an hour and a half on details of our model of play. We went through a Zoom, um, a Zoom meeting going in the details of the model of play for them to fully understand the, 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 the profile of the players by position. We meet with the scouting department at least uh, once a week. There's a lot of connection. I'm able to focus only on managing a team. Axel is able to focus on managing the other side and managing with the uh, player's contract and with the scouting department. So, the club has grown incredibly well inside and we can't wait that that starts to get outside if you look at our roster we're a young roster but with a a roster with potential even the young players the players that we signed are young Caio is young Caicedo is young when we signed Ranco and Leo they're young players this is the philosophy of the club and I just say that it's not the same club right now that when I arrived in November of 2018, it's completely different. The young players, the young players coming through, the young players that's already got deals. I know you've talked about this a lot. I've asked you about it a lot. Some of the other guys have asked you, like, what, what do you do with these guys? How do you get them playing time? It's frustrating. We have a player I was talking about that I really think he has a ceiling that very good and this player is 16 years old and uh, I think he has a very good potential. I, that's not who I thought it was going to be funnily enough because he's older than 16. So, I'll, I'll, I'll cut this bit out but I yeah. thought it was going to be Cam. I thought it was going to be Cam Habidala. No but I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about Cam if you okay. want after but th- this player I remember when I was at Soul Park Ranger, the first time we got Lindsay, Jaden, and and Lindsay was 16 years old. But I think he played eight to 10 games with Soul Park Rangers. While here, where does this kid play? He's not Nesta or good enough 
to right away being 16 and being a starter in MLS. So that's my concern a little bit with COVID, even the leagues, the possibility of MLS next, possibility of having a reserve team playing somewhere. That's been incredibly challenged. And that's, that's sad for Canada because these players miss in their development right now. Uh, Cam is a player that has very good tools, but Cam has to, if he's here with us today and in camp and still here, is because we believe in him. Um, sometimes he get he's too much on the, uh, uh, he doesn't give the ball fast enough. He could dribble everybody and at the, the next level, it frustrates other guys. Uh, but Cam is somebody that could get out of pressure and make things happen in, in some moments. Today, Cam started to get some of the things we want. It's a player that when we lose the ball, reacts right away, presses right away, is growing in his mentality, is slowly giving the ball faster. Um, and Cameron is a player completely still in development. So for us to say that he's the next, he has to play games. And yeah. it's too bad again in in another type of environment maybe what, would be playing games. That's what I was going to say, because it's like you've got CPL, but you don't know for certain what their season's going to be mm. with how things are now in Canada. You've yeah. got the USL, who yeah. at least you know there's going to be a season, but you don't know about Canadian players and rules for that. You yeah. could send them to Europe, but that's a whole different atmosphere. Like I, I can just imagine if guys went to Scotland, some would make it, some it would affect their development because it's a different kind of game. I, I don't know what the easy answer is for you. That's That must be just so frustrating. It's hard because look, even the CPL, players have played seven games in the last 18 months. Yeah. So is that development? But it's not the CPL's fault either, you know? It's just hard in Canada right now, sports and COVID. Uh, but in the reality is that almost two years, seven games played. So when us were looking at CPL players, we have question marks and some of them to say, okay, but how does that translate to MLS right now? And it brings frustration in the development of players, that's for sure. I haven't had a chance to ask you about the impact name disappearing now obviously you're the white caps coach you might not want to speak about another team yeah but i associate you so much with the impact from the years that's how i first knew about you from playing the white caps in the usl days so for you personally how do you feel about that name disappearing i i felt uh sad uh because i think you can I don't want to get into the, the, the marketing and the financials of everything because for sure there was an idea behind everything. But I think you could rebrand and keep the name. That's my opinion. There's way too much history in the name of the impact to totally change the name. That's my opinion. Uh, I'm happy that professional soccer continues in Montreal because Montreal is a city for professional soccer, a city, very European city, a city that loves sports, a city that loves soccer. So I'm happy that professional soccer stays in MLS in Montreal. 
but I'm sad to see the history of such a name when you go from the A-League to the USL to the NASL and uh, championships and Canadian Cups and Champions League. It's too big of a name, I think, uh, to, to rebrand and almost forgetting everything in the history. So for me, the impact never dies. The impact will always be the Montreal impact for me. Uh, but I don't want to judge the people that for sure there was something important in the rebrand and the, and the, and the marketing side that I cannot explain because it's not my, my area of expertise. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of think the same, like as much as I've not liked the team through the years for various things, which we won't go into, but I, I worry that like all their achievements folk won't associate it with the current team mm-hmm. and that i think that's sad it's like a big chunk of your team's history is maybe going to get forgotten by some because you even have to, like look at the english premiership no one talks about what english football was like before the premier league started it's yeah. like sky sports that doesn't exist to them they don't care about it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah exactly but uh again for me personally the impact will always be the montreal impact in the history is never gonna die, and uh, and the rebranding. I I won't see it like that. I think you could rebrand and keep the name, but you know, again, it's not my area of expertise. So let's let's picture the scene. We're back in Vancouver. Things have opened up. People are vaccinated. It's a, a semi-normal life again. Whenever that's going to be, what's the first thing you're most looking forward to to doing with your family? First, I'm going to speak about the fans. Me, I'm looking forward to have the group of all our players together in the first game at BC Place with fans. The the Maybe this is good that we're outside right now where so many guys don't have visa and guys that are not in and we're finishing the recruitment process because I think our fans are going to get to see our full product of this year whenever that is, if it's, if it's going to happen, there's a side of me that's very negative uh, towards yeah. that. It sucks, but it, it's like that. I'm the same, but yeah. I mean, I asked Max this and Max said, mark my words. He said, September, there'll be fans in BC Place. That was before the last couple of weeks. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not hopeful. No, but when it comes to my family, it's... Uh, there was a lot of distance and I I like to be human in these things. In the past years that that uh, put uh, put apart me and my wife. And now we we felt that slowly we were having the opportunity to come together again. Uh, but when you coach and when distance is so many so so present uh, wedding, marriage is a roller coaster. It's already a roller coaster when you're not coaching, you know. Marriage, yeah. is, marriage is hard work. Yeah. But my career has been challenging in my family. Uh, and now, you know, every time one, you go one month and a half to Orlando, two months to Portland, not three months. And it's always been like that. I'm just looking forward, I would say, to rebuild the bridges that I have to rebuild with them. 
It's not yeah. all roses, man. It's art. No, I, I like to be real about it. And I don't envy it yeah. at all. It's like, because I know if I had the chance to have gone down there for three or four months, I, I, I don't know. It's tough for my wife to then be on her own and everything like that. So I, I, I hope fans fully appreciate what you're going through. I know like some folk didn't, like when Terry Henry left Montreal, they didn't appreciate that. And it's like, look, this guy has been away from his family and he's going to be away again. And it, it's the same for you guys. I'm here to fight and yeah. I'm here, I'm a fighter and I love the club and I love the locker room we have. I'm excited about the guys that are going to come in. I can't wait to have them in. And you know, you have to fight, you have to fight. And that's what we want to do right now. Fantastic. Thank you as always for your time. Good luck down there. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you, Michael. Take Cheers, care. Mark. Take care. So Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis there. Thanks as always to Mark for giving up so much of his time. He's always very generous with us here at AFTN. Always keen to sit down and talk about all things Whitecaps. A few interesting things to take from that chat. And myself, Steve and Zach will delve into that in a little bit more detail in the next show. The reason for that is we're going to be doing a kind of Whitecaps season preview and just looking ahead to the shape that the team's in, making predictions and, and everything like that as well. So I think it's, it's probably a good idea to kind of wait and digest that in the next one. But certainly a, a lot of interesting things covered by Mark there and especially about the young players. It is certainly difficult just now is to to just finding the right minutes for them and getting the right place for them. And with things like the CPL still a little bit up in the air, that just kind of cloudy things a, a little bit more I guess but of course the big talking point is when is the number 10 coming in or should I say when is the attacking midfielder coming in as as we discussed there about the whole numbering situation and the, the like the funny thing about that is football changes so much in that regard like w- way back in the day you had wing backs and the formations like that when I first started watching football and you, you basically had your, your team on the pitch that was numbered 1 to 11, 2 was the right back, 3 was the left back. Some teams had 4 and 5 as your centre backs with 6 as your defensive midfielder number 6. Some teams had the number 4 as the number 6 as he's known today and numbers 5 and 6 on the shirts were actually the central defenders. And number 10 back in those days if you were playing a two-striker formation, was your striker. Number nine was striker one, number ten was striker two. At least that's how it worked at at East Fife. So it is always funny hearing folk talking about number ten now, but as Mark said there, when you're talking about number tens, you've got a clear picture in your mind what you're meaning by that. It's an attacking midfielder, it's your key piece. It still sounds like there's pieces in the work. Mark hinting that the piece might be here by the time that the first break comes uh, on May 22nd. Got to cross our fingers for that. The sooner we can get these pieces here, the better. The sooner we can get all our guys and all their visa situations sorted, the better as well. 
get some rhythm going, getting some chemistry going before a big chunk of the team is, is going to be disappearing again on international duty. We spoke with Ali Adnan in the last show and I mean, he's having his visa issues just now. You could be in the situation where Ali finally gets to join up with the team, plays a couple of games and then he's going to be off with Iraq playing it in those Asian World Cup qualifiers in June. So it's certainly a tough season ahead. We'll talk a lot more Whitecaps in the next episode. I just want to round off this part though with this week's wavelength. I'm bringing it to you a little bit early. And the reason I'm kind of doing that as well is when a team doesn't have a number 10, and we saw it a lot last year, there's a lot of talk about playing a a striker behind the main striker, lots of talk about false nines, do you play three up front, what formation do you go to? So since we've been talking about that, one of the songs that I've had to play in Wavelength for for a while now, and I was kind of, I like to have my themes for months for Wavelength, as you know, sometimes, so I was kind of keeping this back for like a a month of tactical themes, which I I know sounds absolutely fascinating for, for the listeners. But this is a song from 2017 from London rapper AJ Tracy, hails out of Brixton. This is a single False Nine. And have a listen to the lyrics here. See how many footballers you can spot as he name checks them in this song. AJ Tracy, False Nine. Man, false nine. I can play anywhere and I shine. I got more than a lot on the line. To take on a man, get twine. To take on a man, get twine. I got more than a lot on the line. I can play anywhere and I shine. They call man false nine. They call man false nine. I can play anywhere and I shine. I got more than a lot on the line. To take on a man, get twine. To take on a man, get twine. I got more than a lot on the line. I can play anywhere and I shine. They call man false nine. I got more than a lot few actors. Step on a pitch of badness. Man can't match this. I put fire in a box like matchsticks And you can't touch man like a cactus My new girls fire like Katniss Nah, my new girls fire like Jean Grey I got visions so I pass like a relay No goal line tech, can't get a replay My whole team on fire White kids see the girl them admire I used to hold up the line like Puyo Bet you thought I was gonna say dire Telling me she's single Last night I had a man Chop left, sent to the shop No matter land, pace abuse I chase checks like a Bamiyang And I say what I mean, no anagram They call man false nine but I can play that 10 roll Put up to the dance, one bro, one me go Been a legend, I still am like Figo I'm a midfield maestro like Eri Bet you thought I was gonna say Modric You might live to crumble like what's this Tryna get my stack long, something like an ostrich My chain bling like disco Flare school when I flex, I'm Isco I'm from Labrago, see that's my hood But I got fam in Tottenham like Frisco And I can still kick balls like Drogba Young and I've made big wins like Gossa Too far gone, can't catch me Costa I'm off Pace, Costa. They call man false nine. I can play anywhere and I shine. I got more than a lot on the line. To take on a man, get twine. To take on a man, get twine. I got more than a lot on the line. I can play anywhere and I shine. They call man false nine. They call man false nine. I can play anywhere and I shine. I got more than a lot on the line. To take on a man, get twine. To take on a man, get twine. I got more than a lot on the line. I can play anywhere and I shine. They call man false nine. Except that on the mark, sick like Colorado. 
one, get a girl's number, but I won't holler up. My new girl said you're a star, babe, I'm a rock star, not an astronomer. Five star skills get twists like Oliver, me and my friends stick together like polymer. OG, I'm a boss like Hugo, I smell a silk cut, you man a loo roll. I play for an England squad, and I'm with an England squad, that Lee Enfield, that's the English dog. Don't make me come down with my English mob. In Trinidad fam, I'm the English fob. White Air ones are the English top. White gal with a big back from Kilburn, bad bitch, see that's the English fob. Couple young G's ain't sitting in a bando, it's a hostel, that's the English fob. Came in the room with an England dot, don't make me show man about the English mob. I was overseas in the dance with some painting gun fingers, that's the English pop. She was telling me say Malcolm, but she loves the accent and the English cock. I'm an English lad, got a couple mates with an English chap. Thought he was bad, don't think it's that. Better sit down with your thinking cap, better think it back, cause I'm thinking bad. Thinking breaking, thinking bad. Thinking Heisenberg, I might put rice in your team if you drink it back. Drink it back. They call man false name. I can play anywhere when I shine. I got more than a lot on the line. To take on a man, get twined. To take on a man, get twined. I got more than a lot on the line. I can play anywhere when I shine. They call man false name. This week's wavelength selection for you there Brixton rapper AJ Tracy from 2017 with his song False Nine. How many football references and footballers did you, you spot in that one? Just rattle a few off for you in case you missed them. There's Puyol, there's Dyer, Abameyang, Figo, Modric, Drogba, Costa, and a lot more as well. Well done if you spotted them. If you haven't, go back listen to the song. See if you can spot them the second time around. But that is it for this part. That is also it for Talking Whitecaps in this episode. We're going to be turning our attention now to the other two Canadian MLS teams, Toronto FC, CF Montreal, and we'll be back chatting about them after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kipo from the Vancouver Whitecaps, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio. And kicking off this part, it's a song by a Vancouver band from the 1990s, a band called Cub. That was a song called Someday, taken from their 1993 album, Betty Cola. And that was a band that I had not heard of until yesterday. So as you heard at the start of part two, our Artist of the Month for April here at AFTN is Blast Off Country Style, an American band, very much in the kind of jangly pop sound. There was a very prominent scene in the 1990s. I spoke on last week's show about how I love that sound. I've got so many records, CDs, seven-inch singles, 
from bands from the UK, from over in North America that just capture that sound. Blast Off Country Style being one of them. So I, I got a tweet on Wednesday from Spice Boy one and he asked, am I familiar with Vancouver band Cub, who he felt were very similar to Blast Off Country Style? So I listened to the song that he shared, a, a song called My Chinchilla, which is also on that Betty Cola album. I loved it. And I went on Wednesday night, checking out YouTube, finding loads of their stuff, listening to loads. At the weekend, I'm going to be digging out on eBay and Discogs and see if I can get hold of any Cub CDs. They released four albums and Spice Boy One was right. It was right up my street. Loved everything I've heard by them. And it just kind of set me off just digging out loads of the old songs that I've got on 7 Ents, finding some of the stuff on, on YouTube as well. So for the, the last couple of parts of the show as well, I'm going to play another couple of songs that's got a very similar sound. All of them female bands, all of them fantastic songs. So hopefully you enjoy our musical selection this week. But let's get back to the football chat now. We've talked Whitecaps in the first two parts of this episode. And in this part, I'm going to be focusing on MLS's two other Canadian teams. One of whom has already been in action. TFC kicking off their CONCACAF Champions League campaign with a very impressive one all draw against Lyon. It may have been a fortunate own goal that gave him a point, but it's a vital away goal. The return leg coming up next week in Florida. I just want to play a little bit of audio now, just from new TFC head coach Chris Armis, just speaking to myself and a couple of other journalists just after that game, just about the performance, the, the grittiness of it, and just the impressiveness, really, of putting in a shift like that in your first competitive game of the season. Chris, a gritty performance from your team tonight against a good side on hostile ground. What did you like about your team tonight? I love the way we stuck together. I love the way we stepped on the field and and straight away. um, We were going to try to stick to being who we are and be aggressive on the night. Um, It gets us the goal from from a pressing situation. Um, I love the the way the guys dug deep uh, into the second half. Um, And really, that's that's what I think is admirable from, from, from the team. And... Yeah, it's, it's a overall a gutsy performance. I love that they stuck together all night. To be that competitive in a, your first game after being so long out and not had much time to work together with this group, with everything that went on with COVID and stuff, can you maybe talk a little bit about what that says about your team's preparation in pre-season to get to this stage and to be that competitive? Well, I think on nights like this, uh, the head coach who's, who's uh, learning these guys every day and, and games like that give me information. It gives them information about who they are, how deep they can, can go, how <laughs> to go some places they, they haven't gone before, you know, physically to suffer that much. And, you know, at altitude, that's, we didn't discuss this. We didn't want to make that a talking point or an excuse. But that's a good team that we played against. A difficult situation with, with, with preparation that was, was just a challenge. So the boys worked hard every day. The staff worked hard. The support staff to get these guys as healthy, as fit as possible. 
um, yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm proud to be part of this, this uh, organization and, and proud to be their coach. Chris, pre-match, you talked about making it a difficult, a difficult contest for Lyon, and I think we saw a little bit of frustration creep in there at the end from them. How did you guys go about that, and how did you see it find success on the night? Well, listen, it's a big challenge, and we, we did say it, it's, it's tougher to do than to talk about it or on a, on a whiteboard uh, or a video session. So they're just there's some top players on their team. So, you, you know, trying to take away certain spaces, trying to limit certain areas, understanding where they're dangerous. That was the goal coming in. You can still see that it's, it's difficult um, to deal with, but I think our big center backs dealt with most of the crosses um, and still in the midfield, we didn't want to go to five in the back too early because still putting pressure on the ball was going to be important. We didn't want to just get pushed back. Although we did, then it just became um, about taking care of the wide areas. So, listen, it's, it's uh, we, we want to play our game. You know, we 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 had to t- deal with a lot of what they did. We would like to have the game more on our terms, uh, with and without the ball. But it was nice to see our guys go down one zero, and still be aggressive. Um, Erickson Gallardo comes in and, and takes a moment to press. We cause a turnover, and it's. We score a really good goal. I mean, it's a little bit fluky, but for us, we want to force mistakes, and we did that. TFC head coach Chris Armis there. And it was a very um, impressive performance by TFC. I grudgingly admit that. There's lots of questions as to whether they should even have been in this stage of the competition because they didn't get to play their Canadian Championship final against Forge. But it was just one of a, a number of very strong performances from the MLS side's in this first round of the CONCACAF Champions League. I mean, you consider that these teams are playing teams that's either in the middle of their season or at least have several games under their belt. It does make it all the more impressive. On Tuesday, Atlanta United went to Costa Rica to take on Alajulenzi. 1-0 win for Atlanta in that one. The same night, Portland Timbers drew 2 all in Honduras against Marathon. That was an excellent game, I Recommend checking out the, the highlights of that, if you can, on One Soccer's YouTube channel. Wednesday saw Philadelphia Union come away with a very impressive 1-0 win against Saprissa in Costa Rica. Kendall Waston missed a couple of good opportunities to get Saprissa on the score there. That sets up a cracking second leg next week. Philadelphia's first foray into the CONCACAF Champions League as well. And on Thursday, MLS champs Columbus Crew destroyed Real Esteli 4-0. So, I mean, it's looking very good for all five MLS sides right now, but there is quite a a few interesting second legs that are coming up. If you never got a chance to see them, the games are being broadcast on One Soccer. Now, we've obviously debated on the last show about the merits of One Soccer and them having all the rights. Had a really good response from listeners in that. Won't bring it to you in this show. We'll save that for the, the next episode and we'll... But also a reminder that if you do want to watch these games and you don't have your One Soccer subscription or you're outside North America, the CONCACAF YouTube channel are showing all the games live. So if you're outside of North America or you've got a VPN, you can watch the games on there. But with TFC being in Champions League action on Wednesday night and some of the controversy around them being in at this stage... There's been a lot of to and fro between the Toronto fans and the Montreal fans and 
That continued online on Wednesday night quite considerably in a lot of the chats on on various things. Montreal, of course, had a chance to be in that Canadian Championship final. They just had to come to Vancouver and beat the Whitecaps. But a sending-off derailed that, that stupid sending-off for kicking Freddie Montero. They lost that game, they lost their chance to to be in this position themselves. But let's turn our attention to Montreal now. So 2020 was an interesting year for the Impact, as they were then, and as I'll probably still keep calling them, just out of force of habit. I mean, they finished the season ninth in the East, which normally would have meant they wouldn't have been in the playoffs, but with 2020 being the year it was, they did make the playoffs, got bounced out in the first round, but but put up a, a good showing. They started the season off in the CONCACAF Champions League, They had a chance to claim their berth for 2021, but that didn't work out for them, unfortunately. This has been an off-season of upheaval. I mean, there's been so many new players coming in. 14 new players in total, including a couple of loan deals that went with the club last year. They've got a new name. They've got a new crest and identity. They've got a new head coach after Thierry Henry decided that he wanted to stay in the UK and spend more time with his family for now, until all the Covid stuff dies down. So much to talk about with the club, and we'll be delving into a lot of those things in the next part with Eve Powell from the This Ball Is Round podcast. But just to round off this part, I'm going to bring you a couple of little bits of audio from some questions that I had with some of the Montreal players. And we're going to kick things off with a little bit of audio from Samuel Piet back in the Montreal Impact fold after being away with Canada, making his 50th appearance for the national team, captaining the side as well. A, a guy that's that's done well for the national team over the years, wants to do well with his club side in Montreal. So I, I basically just wanted to, to know from Sam just what he's expecting from the, the team this season with, with all the upheaval and, and how different it kind of feels under the leadership now of Wilfred Nancy. Hi Sam, I just want to ask you uh, about the, the season that, that's ahead, it's been a, an interesting off-season obviously, you, you've lost Thierry, you, you've got a lot of new guys that's coming to the squad, you've maybe not had a lot of time to, to work with them yet, but from what you've seen so far in the training sessions that, that you have been at, how does this team feel different for this season and how are you prepared mentally for another unexpected season where you, you might be playing the whole year in the States, but you just don't know yet. Yeah, obviously we, we are aware that it might be a, a tough, you know, season in terms of conditions, being away, not being able to play at home um, for, for a while. Uh, we don't know exactly how long, but obviously the first, the first part of the season will be, will be in Florida. Uh, but I think we're mentally a lot more prepared than, than we were last year. Uh, when we went down to New Jersey. Um, so obviously it's not a situation that we we like to be in, uh, but it is what it is. And, and like I said, uh, the team as well, you know, the club, sorry, uh, helped us out, you know, uh, when it's to accommodate, uh, you know, families coming over there and stuff like that. So we had a lot more time to prepare us, the players mentally, and the club as well in terms of, you know, putting us in a you know, best condition possible to, to, to train and perform. So that, that helped for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we lost Thierry, obviously, as a head coach. Will is, uh, took over now. Uh, but I would say that Will has, you know, the same philosophy that Thierry had uh, in terms of, you know, being 
you know, imposing our game, uh, being the team that, you know, create things and not wait for things to happen. Uh, we want to be, you know, aggressive when we don't have the ball and a really tough team to play against. Um, you know, Will was part of, you know, Thierry's staff last year. Uh, so we are working the same way that we are, but obviously Will is, is putting his, his input and uh, his own philosophy. But it's been it's been really good so far, uh, the couple of weeks that I've been with, with him and looking forward to meet the team again. So Sam Piet there, it feels there's a good vibe around the team and yet you kind of have to feel that there is going to be really good competition for places. That They've brought in a, a number of key additions, especially in the front line. There's four forwards added to the, to the roster. They seem to have a really good crop of exciting young talent coming through at Montreal as well. Five guys out on loan to, to CPL teams for, for this year. It's going to be good to see how they develop. And you kind of saw what that did to the development of somebody like James Pantemis last year. Spent the Island Games with Valor FC, just played the seven games with them, but then headed back to Montreal, was called into action, played three MLS games, his first MLS games, and then had a great performance for Canada's under-23s at the, the CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers last month. But as we talked about in the last show, this is a key season for James. He really kind of needs to get playing time. You saw with Max Cripple, he went off to Ottawa Fury in the USL, won goalkeeper of the year there, then joined the Whitecaps and had a great first season with the Whitecaps. Pentemis is a guy that needs to play. I don't know that he is going to to win that starting spot in Montreal. So, I, I mean, what happens to him? But, I mean, the last year, has seen great growth, great development from James Pantemis. So got a chance to ask him a, a little bit about that. So here's what he had to tell me. And just before me, what he told Paul Vance from the Ball Is Round Montreal podcast. Unfortunately, I hadn't pressed recording time, so I don't have Paul's question. But here's James Pantemis. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a secret. I just think that we put in the work day in, day out, whether that's with the staff in Montreal or staff over there down with uh, with Canada. Um, my job consists of being ready for that one moment. Evidently, there's only one goalie able to play, whether that's club or country. And I think that um, your trainings throughout the week, if you're not playing, are your games. So whether it's if I get an opportunity in 11 v 11 during the week to prepare for the game on the weekend, then I take that as my chance to show and be ready. So mentally, it's as if I'm playing the game. Uh, during the session so that's my mentality going into those training sessions and whenever my chance does come I obviously look to take advantage of it and and uh, yeah that's it. Hi James just kind of building off what, what Paul asked there if you look back at, at your last year can you maybe talk a little bit just about how you feel your game has developed you obviously had the time away with Valor at the Island Games and you, you got a little bit of time in MLS last year but when you look particularly at those games that you were away in the CPL, how much did that help your development by playing, I was going to say week in, week out, but but for the, the seven games that you had there? Yeah, well, I think um, I might even take it back to before that when I first made my debut uh, in the Canadian Championship with Montreal, comparing that to my Valor games. Um, I think they were completely different. Personally, I felt way more confident uh, putting in a string of games with Valor, getting those repetitions and getting my rhythm, um, making sure, 
you know, I'm just getting my confidence and doing what I do best, right? And I feel those seven games really helped me a lot uh, going into the three games that I eventually did play with Montreal. Obviously, the plan was to play a whole season. Evidently, it wasn't possible because of the pandemic and uh, a postponement of the season, but I was very grateful to get that opportunity. Um, very lucky that uh, the club and Valor made, made an agreement for me to play, but I just feel that overall, after every game I play, I've, I've, I'm gaining more and more confidence. Um, so I'm really happy with that. I feel really comfortable out there. And hopefully, um, you know, I just continue building off that and making sure I clean up a little bit of uh, things in my game and um, we keep pushing from there. James Pantemis there, just chatting about his development in the last year. So I'm excited to see what Montreal can do on the pitch. The, it's going to be a tough season. There's a lot of similarities you kind of feel with, with what the Whitecaps are, are going through. As I said, it's been an off-season of upheaval. And we're going to get into a little bit of that now in the next part, where we're going to be joined by Eve Powell. She's on the, the Ballers Round podcast that covers the impact. Sorry, CF Montreal. Told you I was going to do that. And she also writes for the Switch the Pitch website. So we'll be back chatting to Eve after this. I am Joel Waterman, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio. And kicking off this part from Glasgow, Scotland, a band called Lungleg, and that was their song from 1995, Pam Olive. A band that, you can describe them as like a female yummy fur, if anyone knows the yummy fur. Funnily enough, they were actually going to be the artists of the month for this month before I, the last minute I chose Blast Off Country Style. Some great songs from Longleg over the years. They've got a couple of albums out. If you like them, check them out. We've got one more similar sounding song still to come. But back to the football chat and back talking CF Montreal. As I mentioned, it's been a very interesting 2021. 2020 was as well, maybe not in all the good ways, but certainly 2021, it's just been non-stop stuff to talk about with Montreal. We've covered some of it on the show, but that's from an outsider's perspective. So we wanted an expert's point of view, and that's exactly who we've got coming up now. want to welcome to the show for the very first time, Eve Powell. She writes for Switch the Pitch website. 
She's also on the This Ball Is Round Montreal podcast. Welcome to the show, Eve. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to, to finally join you. Yes, I've been listening to, to your show, The Ball Is Round as well, and I've been on a lot of Montreal calls and stuff, so we've wanted to, to get a few of you guys on the show for a while. Last season, I don't know why we didn't, but there's been so much to talk about this off-season and the season to come that this seemed a great time to to get you on. And I guess we have to start with the big thing. It's not the Montreal impact anymore. I'm really going to struggle and not call the team the impact. Even as hard as I try, I still will. For you personally, what did you make of it all? CF Montreal, it's had a mixed reaction. I know the fans there have not been big on it, the, the ultras particularly. What's your thoughts on it all? Personally, I could get behind, say, a refreshing of the image. I'm not a huge fan. I'm definitely, I'm far from a huge fan of how the rebrand was presented to the fans and how it was approached by the organization. I'm unfortunately not very uh, impressed by how that's gone on and it's kind of been allowed to become much more of an elephant in the room as time has gone on. I'm not a fan of the name personally, Club de Foot. I don't like it um, as just the way it sounds. Phonetically, I'm not a fan. And unfortunately, I'm really sad to see uh, the Fleur de Lis take off so much prominence in the logo. Yeah, I, I, I've been in Canada since 2007. And my first season watching the Whitecaps was 2008. So 2008 to 2011, the battles between the Whitecaps and the Impact were huge. And to me, the Impact is such a, a, a part of Canadian football. Now, we've hated the club here over the years for various things that happened in those USL days, funnily enough, under our, our current head coach. But you, it, it was so iconic. It, like the Fleur de Lis, as you said, just the name. It was something a bit different and it stood out. And what what my worry is, is you've got that proud history and I can see it getting erased and people not associating the current club with everything that went before it. Definitely, especially with so much turnover as far as faces of the club in the past, really the past year or so, I'd say, with iconic players like Nacho Piatti leaving last season, and then as well, quite a heavy turnover in this particular offseason. It's hard to kind of find something familiar to grab onto for a lot of fans. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it hasn't gone down well. I, I was on a call with Don Garber and someone even asked Don Garber what he thought about it, which was like, he gave the diplomatic answer of, well, that's up for them to decide. I can't really comment, etc., etc. The The whole snowflake that isn't a snowflake, or it might be to do with the Metro. I don't, I've kind of, I've read so many things now. I don't even know what it is. I, I don't it's a snowflake. It is a snowflake. Yeah. Yeah. It's a snowflake. Yes, they use the, the arrow signs from the Metro in part of the, the design of the snowflake. Yes, but it is a snowflake. Now, I, I don't mind it. It's a nice enough thing. It doesn't scream football at me, but I, I can live with it. But you how you know that what football fans are like. It's You're going to get all the, oh, you're snowflakes, you're this, this and this. 
how do you how are you going to deal with that basically well the brain behind the marketing had a had a theory about how we would be an impenetrable wall of snow which i don't really get behind personally like game of thrones i think something like like a blizzard something to that effect something in which we're an impenetrable wall of snow we have ice in our veins and something to this effect which was a lot more floral and figurative than I personally needed. <laughs> so I've, I fully expect to be referred to as the league makes, you know, mockery of us over the course of this season to be referred to quite frequently as the snowflakes. And we're just going to have to suck it up and live with it until time passes enough that people don't yes. comment well, I mean, we've had white craps for years, so it's mm. like some names leave it open. And like the club foot thing, as you said, I, I'm i just going to call them CF Montreal or just yes. Montreal. Because like club foot, I don't know if you know the Kasabian song. Oh, no, club I know foot. full well. Yeah, yeah, that's all I can think of when I, when I hear it. We play it on our show all the time and it's like, I love that song, I'm a Kasabian fan. And it's like, that's all I'm going to think of now. So, <laughs> But let, let's move on to footballing matters because... The other big thing that's happened is you lost your head coach, a, mm-hmm. a big name, a guy that probably brought eyeballs to Montreal that maybe weren't on the team before. I, I totally get why he stood down being away from his family. I, I mean, from talking to the Whitecaps guys, I know how tough it's been not being able to play your home games in Canada. But to also then be separated from your family by a continent and everything that's happening, I, I totally get that. It was just unfortunate that it came right on the back of him being linked with the Bournemouth job, I guess. But, I mean, when, when you heard he was going, did, did it shock you or did you kind of thought he would move on sooner rather than later? I certainly didn't expect him to settle in and have a Sir Alex Ferguson-style reign at the club by any stretch of the imagination. I definitely expected him to at least come back for the start of his contract so that perhaps it would buy a little bit of time for Olivier Renard to find a successor. So I guess I was a little surprised by the timing because it was so close to the start of preseason. And I kind of thought as long as he made it back here, we'd be, we'd be okay as long as he made it back. (laughs) But unfortunately, like you said, family comes first it's an incredibly difficult situation these teams are being placed in for yet another year and there's not much we can hold against him no it, it's just a shame I mean when he was appointed it's an exciting appointment it's a guy that knows the league but he brings with him basically a superstardom because he's one of the best strikers that's ever played in, in the Premier League and you're thinking he's going to have contacts he's going to do all this that first season under him though for a guy that's been a prolific striker, it was a team that was not banging the goals in. And in the post-game press conferences that I jumped on with him, he always seemed so critical of the of the attack. I mean, how do you look back at that 2020 season in terms of that? And I've just jotted it out. Eight wins, 13 losses, two draws, 33 goals for, but 43 against. He still made the playoffs, but it wasn't it wasn't pleasant viewing at times. No, it was definitely not easy. And there was a lot of extenuating circumstances that we can look to as well for why some results were as they were. But I thought one of the important things about Thierry Henry's first season with the impact 
given that it was so marred by the COVID breakdowns was the fact that he said in his postseason press conference, I don't know if you attended that or not. I might have. I think I did because I thought that might be the last time I might ever get to ask uh, a question. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. I understand. Um, and then the answer might have been given in French as well. He said that he learned so much more about the human side of coaching this season. And of course, I'm sure you're well aware that one of the primary criticisms that had been levied against him was that he didn't necessarily have the right way of talking to the players or the right way to build a rapport with them. But the difficulties imposed by the COVID season had really allowed him to empathize with the difficulties because he and the players were living the exact same struggle together. So I think definitely it was a difficult situation. I don't think the attack was necessarily very well helmed. They were definitely, the team was definitely uh, hamstrung a little bit by the giant contract of Maxi Rudy who left in the mm. off season, of course. So attacking options were few and far between, especially with injuries to guys like Balu. Anthony Jackson ML was injured off and on, even if he is more of a depth player. Lassie Lapalainen picked up a long-term injury. So injuries definitely did not help the squad last year. I, I think a guy like Henri as well coming in and... I mean, De Boer might have had this in Atlanta. You might find Stam's got this in Cincinnati. You've played at the top level, but most of the guys in your squad's not at the level. And I think from listening to Henri afterwards in some games, it was like he was frustrated that they couldn't do the kind of stuff that he could do when he was a player or the players that were around him at Arsenal could have done or at Barca. But it's a, it's a different level. So I think he probably learned a lot here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, think it was probably learned... quite humbling, really. Yeah, I, I think he would have learned a lot more if if he had stayed. Like if he walks into a team in England now, I don't think he would learn as much as he he would learn here because it's so different, and just the dynamics and everything and the how you can sign players and how they can do this and how you can move them on and all that kind of stuff. It, it's just a shame, and it would have it would have been exciting to see what he built this year. Yeah, I agree. It would have been really exciting. I thought that I really felt that we were at the start of an exciting project and a new era. I didn't necessarily think that Henri was going to be the one to finish the vision started by Olivier Renard, who is really the mainstay guy in all of this, because I knew that the second Henri had a whiff of success, he was gone. But unfortunately, you know, it is what it is. And there's nothing else that we can do other than Droit de vin, as we say now. Which I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it basically just means straightforward. Okay, I'm learning. <laughs> you, you need to do on your show some bits in French for people like me that are listening in English so we can learn. Okay, no, you know what? I, I will bring it up to the guys. I'll bring it up to, to Paul, Hattie and Sam for sure. I'll mention that perhaps we might Paul have as well. like a, There we go. <laughs> Better late than never. So your new your new boss. So I I don't know much about Wilfried uh, Nancy. I know he's assistant and he's taken over. Is this a case of he's going to basically just continue what Thierry built and it's the the same process, the same fundamentals. Everything's going to continue as it was. I think that is um, that's the game plan for sure. Obviously, he is not a carbon copy of Thierry Henry by any stretch of the imagination. However. 
he was definitely privy to the, the vision implemented by Olivier Renard, as well as the tactics used by Thierry Henry. And a lot of the signings made in the offseason were made with the expectation that the team would be playing under Thierry Henry's system. Yeah. Therefore, yes, as far as, far as I'm aware, obviously he will have his own flair to, to put on it. But in general, yes, it would be a similar vision and a similar a similar project, similar system. Because when everything happened that Henri left, I had thought, oh, you've got all these new signings because it's 11 signed players, three new loan deals and two existing loan guys coming back in Binks and Lapilainen. And I'm thinking that's a lot of guys coming in, probably expecting to be playing under Thierry Henry. But then a couple of the calls, I think Bjorn Johnson said this, Eric Hurtado definitely did, said they hadn't spoken to Thierry yes, Henry. Yes, that's correct. Only... None of the new signings I don't believe had. That's weird. But I guess it's basically Renard's the guy that's pulled all pulled all the strings and put the squad together then. Exactly. Yeah, he's definitely the mastermind behind everything right now. 100%. Um, you know, he's... He's the he's the footballing mind, I would I would say, when it comes to the signings and when it comes to decision making, when it comes as far as uh, who's staying and who's going. Of course, Wilfred Nancy has some, <laughs> some yeah. just saying that. Yeah, and from the calls I've been on with him, he he, he seems a, a great person to have there. I, I want to look at a couple of the folk that that's sure. come in, mainly up front, but also a couple of others as well. Now, Eric Hurtado, we know well here in Vancouver. Of course. He's, he's one of those guys, he's so frustrating because I know mm -hmm. there's a talent there. You've seen it. You've seen some of the finishes he's done. His consistency here was terrible, but he maybe wasn't getting utilised to the best. He's a hard worker and he did well at KC. Do you see him as a starter? Is he going to be a guy that's maybe coming off the bench, maybe when Johnson gets tired, or is he going to partner Bjorn up front? I think he would be more of a rotational player because as well, Ramel Kyoto, who had a very, very good season last year mm. with Montreal, played a lot of the time in that central attacking role. So my expectation would be if uh, Wilfred Dancy wants to use two center forwards, that it would be more likely the more dynamic uh, Kyoto paired with Bjorn Johnson. Yeah, because I know like Henri kept talking about Kyoto saying he's not the out-and-out -out number nine that he was wanting. And I'm like, I'd have loved him here. I've always loved Kyoto. I think he's such a good player. Mm. Johnson is an interesting one. I, I went on his introductory call and I came away from it. I said this on our show. He's such a nice guy, like off the pitch, that you, you only want success for him. You just want him to do really well. <laughs> and he's coming with a good pedigree. Like he's done well at the Dutch level. What are you expecting from him? Do you think he'll make that adjustment to MLS quite easily? I definitely hope so. Uh, he's played in almost every league you can name, quite frankly. Yeah, he's been in Scotland. And, <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, he's been to Scotland. He's been to Bulgaria. He's been to, like you said, the Eredivisie. He's been to Portugal. And of course, he came to CF Montreal via South Korea. So he's really been all over the place, but wherever he's gone, he's scored goals. So I think as long as the players are in place to provide some service to a striker like himself, then there's no reason to think he's not going to score goals. Maybe we'll finally, after such a long drought, have a 10-goal striker. 
Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm asking for big things. <laughs> oh, it's similar here. It's like we've had a couple. Like Kai Kamara, I think, reached double figures. I think Freddie Montero did one year. But then there's been other years where it's all been single digits. And it's like, it's you look ag- across the league and you see like the Velas and they're in oh, the 20s yes. and you're like, oh, just for a striker like that. It, I'd, I'd take half. <laughs> oh, yeah. And service is the key. And that's the issue we've got in Vancouver. Now, you've brought in a, a midfielder and it's a big splash, 800,000 in GAM, given to Chicago for Jordi, Jordi Mihailovic who I don't even know much about because I haven't watched tons of Chicago games. And I'm like, that seems a lot of money for a guy that I don't really know. What do you know about him? He's definitely very, very well regarded in Chicago as well as in the U.S. national team youth system. And he did as well get some looks in with the senior men's national team. So he's, I think he's quite an exciting signing. Um, He's young I mean he's only 22 so he still has some development in him for sure but I think he has the potential to fill that kind of technical leadership role which is perhaps a little bit of a vacuum that was left when Boyan left the club I'm not saying that he's of course Boyan 2.0 by any stretch of the imagination but I'm saying as far as a a technically gifted play playmaking player why not him Interesting. I, I mean, that age, to give that amount of gam up, they clearly think very highly of him because it's like, that's no small amount. I know that amount can, can go up even higher. Now, defensively, I want to talk about Kamal Miller, which was just typical MLS. He's picked by Austin and you guys end up with him, but that's a good addition. I, I, I like him. that signing. I like it a lot. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite off-season moves, if we're being quite honest. Um, he's, you know, he's a relatively local in the sense that he's Canadian, even if we'll just disregard whereabouts he comes from (laughs) in Canada. Um, and obviously we, I'm sure you took a look at the Canadian men's national team's matches. Yeah. So he, he did get some, some minutes in already this season. He's got a good relationship with a lot of the players because we do have quite a slew of Canadian players. Yes. So he's got a good relationship with those guys and central uh, central defense depth is something we can always use more of as well because he's so versatile. He can play as a left back or as a center back. Yeah, so Which in this league, if you've got that versatility, it's just, it's vital. It's a gift. Yeah. I, the departures, now you talked about Boyan, Iruti moved on a, a, as well, which was a... a he's a strange guy it's like I always expect more than teams seem to get from him mm-hmm. he's a guy I would have liked here at one point but then I don't know but Ratala for me seemed a big loss as well I was sad to see Ratala go because he's a he's a really nice he's a really nice guy <laughs> yeah. I guess is the best way to say it I, I get one over with that as well like when you're speaking to guys it's hard it, isn't it yeah because it's like <laughs> you, you want them to do well because it's like oh, I like speaking to him he's a he's a solid guy to speak to yeah, you know, exactly. And, you know, he he wasn't really exemplary as far as behavior goes, as far as like what you want someone who represents your team to conduct themselves. 
Oh. He was a shining example. Yuguri Tala was 100% the epitome of professionalism and oh. everything like that. He was captain last year, for yeah. heaven's sake. And especially Montreal previous seasons have had some issues with um, discipline, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Not necessarily on the pitch, but perhaps off the pitch. So I like the idea that he was just the the perfect example of a of a pro and he did though he did have a lot of uh, a lot of injury problems last year he broke his leg partway through uh, one of the CONCACAF games actually early on in the season and he never really uh, made I've it fully back from that, that. Yeah. yeah yeah he played for like half an hour on a broken leg as you do yeah because yeah, that was that when Joe Waterman came on for him I believe so. Yes, because I remember that in, game. Uh, you had a you had a nightmare start. You had to make a couple of subs in the in the early going. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and the poor guy, like I said, he played for almost half an hour on a broken leg. I mean, <laughs> you deserve the captain's band if you're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I so definitely disappointed to see him go. But as well, he did fill an international slot. Yeah. Which is, you know, those do kind of have that caveat attached to them. Yes, because you're you're much a team like ourselves where you don't have a lot of Americans. It's either Canadians or internationals. Exactly. Yeah. I just got a last couple of things to ask you. Now, sure. You, you touched there on, on Champions League. So I've been following online all the fun between Montreal fans and TFC fans because Always. TFC got into the Champions League, which I also think was ridiculous. I thought that was a little bit uh, fishy. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just... <sighs> What's your take on it? And talk a little bit about the rivalry with TFC, because we only get little snippets of it out here, because we're so much focused on Cascadia, and <laughs> Portland and Seattle don't even care about us. We're like the third wheel in every possible rivalry going. But like, what's it like as a Montreal fan? Do, do you hate TFC? Strongly. Good. Yes. I like yes. you so much for that. That's what I want. <laughs> I, I hate folks that's like, oh no, it's we're we're friendly. It's just it's a friendly rivalry. No, no, like, um, and once again, seeing them get that Concacaf birth just by pure luck, and you know, it was all very closed door. It seems with Canada soccer. Yeah, yeah, it just feels like okay, yes. Uh, I'm sure you're aware here, there's always this perception that Toronto is the center of the universe. Oh, yes. Yeah, and you're kind of just like, once again, it feels like Toronto got to be the center of the universe for the umpteenth time. So definitely, and I'll tell you what, one thing that really disappoints me this season, speaking of our rivalry, is that we have to start the very first game where we're both in exile playing each other. I, 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 thought, I thought that was a terrible choice. I did as well, because like we're playing Portland in the first game of the season. You, yes, I, you're in the same situation. Yeah, that's our home game, and we're in Utah yes, playing same. Portland. Same. Yeah, we're in Miami. So it's going to be an empty stadium, you know. No, but the teams won't have their legs fully under them. Like Toronto are going to have those competitive uh, CCL matches. Yes. that Because yeah, that's exactly what we've got with Portland as well. We're in yeah. exactly oh the my, same boat. Oh my gosh. Okay, thank you. Okay, finally, I can have a conversation with someone where I'm like, you fully empathize. I, I mean, I, I watched both Portland and TFC's games and like, I grudgingly mm, have to say TFC were excellent. For a team that's had a COVID outbreak and that's their first mm. competitive match, that was an impressive display. I'll grudgingly give them that. Oh yeah, no, but it's, like, it's still I'm not, annoying. I, I don't, I don't hate the team enough to 
just say, oh, they suck because I don't like them. You know, that's not fair and that's not, that's not right. But all the same, that's a lot to put on the team as well, because it's so early in the season. Like you said, they had the COVID outbreak, which broke up their preseason training schedule. And then they're, they have to play what they played last night. They have a, another friendly on the weekend. Then they play again. Oh, yeah, because they're playing the second leg next week. Then they've yes. got you guys, and then they've got yes. us the week after. So our first yes. two games are Portland and Seattle, Portland and Toronto. So two teams in Champions League, and we don't even have a third of our players in our team at the moment because they can't get visas. Oh, still. Yeah. Still. We are not going to have our players until the end of April, maybe even <gasps> t- into May. Oh, my goodness. So but when you play us, we might have a team. Or it might be loads of young guys. So it might it might be like they had uh, with the Canadian men's national team where there were five subs on the bench. Yeah, it's oh, like even those guys then couldn't rejoin because they were no. in the states, so they couldn't come back to Canada. No. So then they had to because they were out of the bubble. They've been quarantining for five days, so they couldn't even work together. No. Which actually brings me to one of the other things I was going to ask mm-hmm. you. You're going to be in the same situation in Montreal as we are in Vancouver in the summer. In that there's a three-week break in June where the World Cup qualifiers are on. But the Gold Cup, there's a short break. But there's every chance that the bulk of that squad is going to be Montreal and Vancouver players. And we've got, I forget what it is off the top of my head. We've got something like 10 games in July. And we could have five six players away with the canadian national team is that a concern for you players being away internationally this year one thing i will say is i'm really impressed with the recruiting work olivier renard has done there's a solid double for a player at Mm. every position on the field obviously you do have your starting players who you hope would be there 34 out of 34 games but you know that's not the reality there is a lot of depth in the squad that Olivier Renard has brought to us. So of course I'm going to be disappointed when the best 11 can't all play together, but I'm not concerned that we're going to have to play, you know, a left back at right wing or anything horrible like that. I'm confident that there's going to be somebody who has played whatever position he's starting in at least once in his life. But that's good. Yeah, we we've it's been a big step good. forward. We've recruited well here, and uh, we've got probably two players at each position. The unfortunate thing for us is that the second player is mostly Canadian, so that there's a chance a lot of them will be away, and we could lose like the likes of Ali Adnan and stuff as well. But just to wrap this up, then th- this season last year it was ninth in the East, which was good enough to get you into the playoffs because of all the weird, wonderful playoff rules from last year. <laughs> What, what are you expecting from the team this year? Are, are they playoff contenders? No. no. Okay, I won't even no, go to the no. second question. No, uh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I didn't no, that's fine. I was going to say, how far can they go? I wasn't expecting you to be like, no. No, I know. I've been pretty clear on this uh, for the past couple of weeks with the ball is around. Unfortunately, uh, the guys have been... I've been a little more optimistic than myself. I know. I thought you might be more positive on this. I thought you'd put out no. just... <laughs> no, you know what? We have a very, very, very young squad. I'm really excited to watch them develop. I'm really excited to see how it all gels together, but I think there's far too many new players in the squad. 
like you said, there's a big risk of a lot of absences for probably several weeks in the summer. And Wilfred Nancy, we we've seen him on the sidelines for time in memoriam in Montreal, but this is his first time really at the helm. So we don't know if he if he has what it takes to be a head coach. For me, there's like if he, I can assi- I can yeah. attach a number to it if you want me to, as far oh, as we're yeah. fault. Okay, if I had to guess, I'd say tenth in the East. Interesting. The, the, the East is such a strange conference. Like, I, I watched more Eastern Conference games last year than I had for the last few years because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed MLS's back in Orlando. I, I Oh, that was put, good fun. Put that in my veins. It was like that. <laughs> if you could have had the whole MLS season like that every year, I would have loved MLS. But it's because TSN showed every single game. I know, it was so convenient. Yeah, I, but we don't get a lot of non-TFC Montreal games shown on TSN, so I don't watch no. it. It's hard enough trying to watch all the Western things on the zone without trying to then catch the Eastern stuff as well. Who do you think's the favourites in the East this this season? I think that the Philadelphia Steamroller is going to keep on keep on trucking forward. Quite frankly, um, I'm behind Philadelphia. Like if I had to say behind, quote unquote. I would have to say Philadelphia. I've definitely tipped my hat to them. I like Jim Curtin. I I like Jim Curtin. I like the, the certain project he's so are, much. Oh yeah. The, there's certain coaches though around the league mm-hmm. that I like, oh, I, I'm looking forward to talking to him because he gives such thoughtful answers. And he, again, he's such a nice guy that you just you want him to do well. I know, I know, and but and it's really exciting because he's the kind of coach, and I, I strongly suspect, and especially Terry Henry evoked Philadelphia several times last year as an example. So I, I kind of hope that's what Olivier Renard is hoping to build with That'd regard to us. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm willing to, to grit my teeth out for a couple of really painful years if in the long run it becomes a really great vision and all of a sudden we have a really productive academy and uh, a lot of exciting young players but for me yeah i think the philadelphia uh, steamroller keeps on chugging down the line well that's good it sounds like very similar montreal and vancouver we've had a tough tough three years without the playoffs so it's a tough couple of years there is this vision that mds has and there's young guys coming through if we don't take the step this year, I don't know if we're going to take the step. So hopefully you guys don't end up like us and are just like going along and not really showing improvement. But yeah. I, I, I think improvement has to be described as relative once again this season because, yeah, you know, the players aren't playing in their ideal circumstances. So I'm as long as I see effort on the field, as long as I see progress and as long as I see a willingness to fight, I'll call it a successful season. That's a fantastic way to end. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I went over as as I always do on these chats. That's just me. I <laughs> Yes, thanks. Same to you. Happy kickoff. <laughs> Take care. Have thanks, a good Eve. one. Thanks Bye. so much for having me. Bye-bye.
So thank you so much to Eve for taking the time to chat to us there about all things CF Montreal. As I kind of alluded to at the end there, it was meant to be a 15 to 20 minute chat, but I just really enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. It's always good to kind of speak to, to journalists from the other teams and just to get a better insight into the things that than we can just talk about from, from a distance. So some really good stuff there. It's going to be interesting to see how Montreal are this year. Eve's not very confident that they're going to make the playoffs, but it's going to be a tough slog for them because the East is such a strong division. There's been so many new faces. Will they gel? Will they get the chemistry? Guess we'll find out soon. Hopefully if they do develop some, it's not by game four when the Whitecaps play it. Now, if you want to give Eve a follow and find her stuff online, because we're chatting so much, I forgot to ask her at the end where you can find her. So where you can find her, if you want to listen to her, she's on the the Ball is Round Montreal podcast. It's a weekly Montreal soccer podcast featuring Eve, Paul Vance, Hadi Raphael and Samuel Savvy. You can follow them on Twitter at TBIR Montreal. Their latest episode came out today and it features a great chat with Kamal Miller that we're just talking about there. Give Eve a follow herself on Twitter. She is at EveJulia9. That's E-V-E-J-U-L-I-A-9. The number nine. EveJulia9. Give her a follow on Twitter. Eve also writes about Montreal for the Switch the Pitch website. It's a soccer website that promotes reporting, photography and has some wonderful coverage about MLS and beyond, all by female reporters. You can check out all her stuff and read all the other stuff on the site on switchthepitchsoccer.com. So we'll be talking a little bit more about Montreal in a couple of weeks' time when we square off against them down in Florida. They've got a tough start to this season. So do the Whitecaps. So that should be a, a good test for the Caps. We'll see how all of that goes. But that's it for the MLS chat for this episode. But we've still got more to come. As in the next part, we sit down for a chat with a man that's played over 50 games for the Canadian national team. He's played in four countries, 17-year pro career, just recently hung up his boots. He's starting a new academy. He's also the president of the Canadian Professional Footballers Association. We're going to be talking about all that and a lot more with Marcel de Jong after this. Hi, I'm Eric Hurtado and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a song from 1995 from Edinburgh band Sally Skull, taken from their Tantivity Tracks EP, 
and that was Bride of Frankenstein. Rounding off our selection of female-fronted bands and jangly pop tunes on this episode of the show, hope you've enjoyed them. We'll have more coming up, you can be sure of that. But we'll get back to the football chat now, and we've had a lot of good chats so far about Canadian soccer. We've talked Whitecaps, we've talked Montreal, we've talked TFC, Champions League, a whole host of things. But we're going to round off the, the episode now with a chat about the Canadian Professional Footballers Association. Still fighting with the CPL to gain recognition. They're looking to be adding members of the national team on both the male and women's side as well, so that's going to help them. They've just been accepted to FIFPro. They've just had their AGM and re-elected as a Canadian footballing legend who hung his boots up back in March decided his playing days were over, left Pacific FC. Many wondered if he would still be involved with the Players' Union, and he has. That man, of course, is Marcel de Jong. 17 years in the pro game. So I got a chance to sit down with Marcel on Thursday night just to talk a little bit about his career, the new exciting project that he's got lined up. He's launching a new academy called Football Fundament. And just to talk a little bit about his work with the Can PFA and his hopes for getting recognised and the future of Canadian soccer. So you know what that means. Yes, make another hot beverage, grab yet another biscuit and enjoy our chat with former Whitecap, former Canadian national team player, former Pacific FC player and a few more clubs as well. Marcel de Jong. Let, let's start things off, Marcel, just by, sure. by talking uh, about your your title. You'd, you'd had 17 years in the in the game as a pro. You'd played in four countries. You'd been in Europe. You'd played over here, represented your, your country over 50 times. What made you feel that this was the right time to, to hang your boots up? Just, uh, just future-wise. I mean, uh, there was this this good opportunity for me uh, for to start this uh, after my career, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't let that uh, you know pass by me. Um, if I would have waited another year, then you know uh, that probably wouldn't would have wouldn't have worked out the way I wanted it. So I think it was just just the perfect timing for me. Um, body was. Also getting there, you know, like uh, injuries after a game, you know, like struggling a little bit. Um, so I, I could feel it. Um, but also, I also feel like I maybe had a little bit left in me. But then again, you know, like uh, what's a, what's a more important one? One more year or or try and set me up, set myself up for, for after. Right. So that was kind of the decision uh, why I was, uh, you know, why I thought it was time for me to to hang them up. I mean, it's such an uncertain year anyway in the the Canadian Premier League. They hope to start in May, but there's not a guarantee. Did that kind of factor into it as well, that you just don't know what lies ahead this year? So you've got this opportunity for anyone that doesn't know, we'll touch on this in a sec, you're, you're launching an academy, but the fact that there was still so much uncertainty with COVID and everything, did that kind of play into it? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't obviously uh, the big big reasons why I, I made my decision, but it was definitely something uh, I was I was I was thinking of. Like last year, uh, we had uh, the bubble tournament in Prince Edward Island, 
uh, which was fun, obviously. But you know, I, I don't want to do it two, do that two years in a row, for example, right? So, uh, and obviously, it's still uncertain uh, how this season is going to look like. So, it, it was it was for sure something in the back of my mind why I made the decision. But um, yeah, on a, on a lower scale, it wasn't wasn't the, the main the main uh, reason. When you look back at, at your career then, lots of highs in it, lots of success, played, as I, I mentioned it, in four different countries. What do you look back on uh, as your particular highlights? But, like when you're talking to your kids in years to come or your grandkids, what, what's the what's the stories you're going to tell them? I don't know. I, I probably, you know, when I, when I, my first year professionally, when I was playing in, uh, in second league uh, in Holland, um, I remember, like I was, I was working uh, during the day in the supermarket, and then uh, till till about like what two or three p.m. And then I had my little um, yeah, in Holland we call it a scooter. Uh, so, but uh, uh, I went my scooter to the train station, took my took the train to 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 Helmond, like a little town, uh, and then train there. And like those moments, like 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 wow, you know, like it's 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 fun to look back at those moments, but. Um, those are those are obviously special moments for me uh, to know, like okay, I mean, uh, you know, you're you're almost there, you're almost there, but you still gotta be humble, you still gotta work, you know, you still gotta, you know, uh, see see if if, if, uh, if something doesn't doesn't work out, you know, you still gotta have a backup plan, you know, you're still in school, you're still working, so it was just kind of that moment in between of like actually making it or not making it, and that 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 moment, that period of time is. Is something really, uh, yeah, you can't really describe it. It's just something really special of like, yeah, you think you have it, you know, and then you make your debut, you get injured, you, you, you I, uh, I dislocated my shoulder. I was out for like six weeks. Like, oh my God, I have to go back to the supermarket, the supermarket, you know, like I have to work there again. So, and then, and obviously, you know, everything went well and uh, I came back and all good and the rest is history. But yeah, that, that moment is kind of, I never really, never really talked about anybody with this, but that's that's a special moment for me. That 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 transition period from making it to professional or uh, not making it. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I, my team in Scotland, they're a part-time team, so all of our guys have jobs, and then they come and play for us on the weekend. Like right now, because the season has, was on hold and it's back, they're playing like four games in eight days. And they're doing their day jobs at the same time. So people yeah. just think, oh, professional footballer, it's an easy life. You train a couple of times a week, then you play at the weekend. But that's only at the top, top level. When you're trying to break through, it's it's not easy. No, no, for sure. It's, it's really hard. And it's only, uh, it's only you know, it only happens to, to a few uh, few players uh, every year. But uh, yeah, no, it's just it's just a grind when you, when, you, when you put your foot in the door and then, you know, once you 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 put your stamp on on your on yourself, and you know, like nobody of somebody is talking about you, or or the fans are talking, so you're talking about you, then you know, okay, I made it. But now it's the grind of of staying there and and you know, prolonging your career and you know, extending your your um, your contracts or or trying to look elsewhere. So that's also every time you know you, you set the bar higher and higher. Like so, first first time was about okay, make my debut, and the second step is okay. Um, Sign a long-term deal, and then after that, okay, now I need to either stay with the club or fight for another contract. 
and then so on. So that, so you're doing that for like 17, 18 years, right? So it's it's always always that pressure of of of, of um, you know performing uh, at your highest because um, you probably know in, in Europe if you don't train well during the week you're not playing. Yeah. And and, and it's, it's 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 a little bit different here in, in North America. You know, if you have a good name, you're you're automatically guaranteed to play. But in Holland or or Germany or Scotland, probably also like if you're not training properly during the week, or you have two, you miss two trainings or whatever. Like you're on the bench, you know, like you're starting from scratch again. So it's 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 always that pressure. So and, and yeah, that's something I also will also miss. But I mean that that leads us nicely then into to what you're going into now because the experience that you've got. And by going to Europe and learning that side of the game, and then you, you were playing in MLS at Kansas City, then you came to the Whitecaps, and you, you've had the CPL experience. So you, you're, you've now launched a, an academy, Football Fundament, and I know that you initially you're having some sessions in Surrey and in Victoria. Is this something that you always wanted to do when you retired? Did you always want to get into coaching and coaching at the youth level? Um, yeah, for sure. I've always uh, told my family like I want to have my own academy. It's always been a dream of mine, um, and, and obviously, I love working with with, uh, with younger uh, kids and athletes and uh, seeing them progress. Uh, so it's always been a it's always been a, on my mind. Um, so when I when I uh, got introduced to to the, my partner, who is uh, who I already know for a few years, uh, he did an academy in, in, in Toronto. And now, uh, yeah. So we've been in contact over the last few years, and so it's just it was just perfect. And it's just like a group of Dutch uh, former professionals, former coaches, former athletic, uh, I mean, technical directors uh, are involved as well. So oh wow, it's just great uh, combination. Uh, yeah, we got a really couple uh, really good, uh, well known, uh, well known people behind it as well in Holland. Uh, so yeah, you, you probably know one as Richard Coachelton. Oh yes, um, he was involved yeah, with the Whitecaps for years. Yeah, he was the academy director, so he's going to be also involved as well, more in the background because obviously he works in uh, in Lake Warsaw. Um, and then we got another uh, guy who is, is the one who started the academy in Toronto. His name is York. Um, he's now in Vancouver as well, and and him and I are kind of running the running the show here. Uh, yeah, Fantastic. basically more more. Um, for um, you know the Dutch, the Dutch way, the Dutch philosophy and the Dutch principles—that's kind of what we're what we're going for. Yeah, because when, when I was growing up, like I remember the good Dutch teams of the seventies, and like, like the first World Cup I really remember was the seventy-eight World Cup. Holland obviously had done well there; they'd done well in seventy-four. Then you had the other era in the nineties, and the Dutch way of playing football is—I mean, it's so different. Mm-hmm. It's the hope to get your top talent from here with a pathway then to to the Dutch teams and to to get them over to Europe and to to do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean you can see uh you know how Holland's done with with the tra- recent transfers of like uh, all those all those all those players from Ajax uh, who are going to uh to Man United, to Barcelona, Chelsea, whatever, you know, like they they build those players, you know, into the system and they they're patient and they're patient and then the time is right. They 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 let them you know develop in the first team, and and let them play there for a few years, and then before that, and I, I mean, and then before you know it, they they go on to big clubs, and I think that's that's the way to do it. I mean, like every club should have should put all their focus on the academy because it's it's obviously you know it's it's cheaper than them buying players also. So why look elsewhere when you have a full um, you know 
talented talented uh, city. Absolutely, it's mm-hmm. it's something that's always annoyed me here. Like before the CPL, we had such a good crop of talent coming through in Vancouver, and you have known some of the guys through the national team stuff. And there seems to be like a lost era from like 2010 to 2014, 15 here, where there was just nowhere for them to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that's that's a shame. I mean, like if you put like just the focus on, on just creating habits when younger, younger age, seven, eight years old, that's what we want to focus on, U7 to U12. So that, yeah, because I noticed that it was under 12 that was the, the key yeah. focus. Yeah, exactly. Because we, we, we just know that local with all due respect local coaches are the local parents of, of a kid and 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 they're good they can you know obviously they have a good connection with the kids but are they really uh, making them better or creating the right habits you know like playing left right left footed right footed both feet uh, just little things uh, and that's what we want to focus on and i think that's that's a key key age too right because uh when they're nine or ten years old and and they have uh, you know just maybe a local dad like I said, with all the respect, I have nothing against them, but no, I know uh, they might, they might, they might lose the interest in, in playing the game if they're not being being taught the proper way, and and so that's that's also what we want to you know kind of combine it with some fun and actually getting better. Well, no, nothing beats the experience that you can share with them because it's like if I went to coach kids, I'm just teaching from what I've watched on TV, and I only yeah. primarily watch like UK stuff, MLS stuff. I don't watch a lot of the European stuff. So you're, you're just coaching them in a certain way. And that is a big thing that I've thought here for years, that the coaching at those early years, it, it's so key. And it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, it, it, the fundamentals are what need to get taught at an early age. And then yeah. you build all the other stuff after that. And I think that is what has lacked in Canada for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's why we want to focus on this. You exactly said it. Um, but yeah, and then again, like, under 12 and then when they're good enough we have we've created a, a perfect um you know um a pathway for them to kind of push themselves further with with the white caps or with pacific fc or wh- wherever you know like they have done the, the perfect uh setup to develop even further um yeah yeah and, and we're not even i mean also not even a competition with the local clubs right we're just offering extra you know training on the side and and so we're not at this point in academy just yet we're just so you, yeah so you're, you're not having a team in a league or anything like that or no, right. yeah, that's in the planning but obviously we, we need to grow we don't want to you know yeah. uh, we just want we want quality over quantity so we just want to focus on this and smaller scale and, and and focus on you know seven eight players at a time per trainer per coach and then you know so fantastic I mean, the yeah. thing is, from when you started, there's so many more opportunities now throughout North America, not even just throughout Canada. So that I mean brings us to to CPL, and you've you've just been re-elected as president of the Canadian Players Union. Why was it important for you to stay involved in the union, even though you've hung your boots up? Why did you feel that you needed to to still be involved with the union? Um, I think first of all, I think it's, it's, it's been it's been really fun. I, I, I like it. It's, it's um, you know like trying to be that voice for the players, uh, trying to help them out in, in a tough situation. It's it's been it's been really uh, obviously you know like a lot of players are dealing with you know with some issues, but it's really satisfying to help them you know in any way we can. And I think that's that's the main reason why I, you know like I wanna I want I wanted to stay involved. Um, Great experience. We have a great team. Uh, you know, now we're including uh, the women. 
it's 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 really important. We're growing. Uh, you know, we're still not there. We're still have lots of steps ahead, but uh, we're on the right track. And and like I said, like I try to I try to tell this to everyone. We're not here to fight against the league. You know, like we're we're trying to work with the league to become better. Because at the end of the day, like like I, like with my academy, like I'm trying to develop players. And same as with the union, like we're trying to develop the league as well in in in, in different capacity, obviously. But it's it's all about Canada soccer, and it's not about me or the union or or my academy, you know. Yeah, and I mean it's been a it's been a mixed road for the union because you've got media on your side, the supporters groups have backed it fully and issued all these statements supporting it. You, you've got FIF Pro membership now. You've got FIF Pro talking at, at your AGM. That's all the positives. It's great growth. You've got good membership numbers. But the big thing, of course, still hanging over it is the league, the CPL, are still refusing to, to recognise it. Has there been any changes? Or is it still, no, they're not ready just now? I mean, still still no changes. We're still, we're still waiting for that, uh, that, that conversation. Um, you know, uh, we we are we are, we do have some 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 you know some some goals for us this year that if we don't hear of anything from them um, in the next you know month or so, then we will take further action, obviously. But um, yeah, it, it is just now a matter of of them. You know, we've we've reached out so many times. You know, our door is open, our phone is 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 is, is on. So the, you know, we're we're there. For, we're here for them to to give us that 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 call or that that chat or whatever. So, um, is 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 yeah, like I said, it's a matter of just weighing at this moment. But uh, you know, like um, one way or the other, uh, we're positive. We know we we were on the right track. We we're, we're not gonna let them uh, make them. We're not gonna make them. You know, uh, get us off track or not. And that's not gonna happen. And, like we're here to uh, to for the, for the long haul. And and it's about the players. And and that's that's all. I pretty much you know what's 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 important. And. So I'm, I'm not too worried about uh, them um, at this point uh, not reaching out. So we'll see what happens in the few next few months, month or so. And then uh, yeah, we'll see what happens after that. I, I spoke to David Clanahan about a month ago. We had him on our show and asked him about it. And he said, so people say that they feel he's against the unions, but he said he's not. He, he will and the league will recognise the union, but he said it's not the right time. Now, I was running out of time and I should have pushed him and I should have asked when the right time was and I didn't. I hopefully will get that opportunity the next time I speak to him. Do, do you agree with that, that it's not the right time or is now the perfect time? Because this is, with everything that the players have gone through, this is the chance to grow the league and grow the game together hand in hand. Yeah, you, you, you said it spot on. Like This is the time, you know, like we've, we've dealt with so many, so many obstacles, diversity, you know, like it's, Wage deferrals, uh, different location, uh, um, you know, playing in a PEI, you know, like there's so many things that happened. Um, so it is the perfect time for them to to reach out and, and to to talk with us and and, and discuss it and, and work together. Um, yeah, it's been almost almost three years now. So I mean, like, what is a good time? You know, like we've been we've been we've been uh, in this on this path for now what a year and a half. Just over a year and a half, I think. Um, but it's it's yeah for us. It's obviously time. Uh, it's been long enough. Uh, players are slowly getting uh, also uh, you know frustrated, uh, and 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 so it's it's time for them to also show uh, their goodwill uh, towards us. And like like I think we've shown everyone else you know that we're here 
being positive. You know, we're we're not against them. You know, obviously we make some, we make some statements here and there, but at the end of the day, it's all in good faith, all in, all for the players and, and and to help to go to the league. And so I, I think it's about time for them also to um, to give us uh, some credit as well. And uh, and if, yeah. I mean, why do you think they're they're not recognizing it? Is it that they're worried that the players will have too much power, or is it just a mistrust of, of unions? And I'll, I'll put my cards on the table now. I come from a union background. I'm very mm-hmm. pro union, but I've seen good unions. I've seen bad unions, but it, I just do not understand what is in the rationale for not recognizing it. Because you, you've stated you're not going to try and push for collective bargaining for a year. And mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think they just will will not recognise it? Yeah, I wish I wish I was a flounder on the walls in the wall sometimes, and I can just hear what what's going on there. But I mean, why they don't recognise it? Obviously, you know, like um, I think it has something to do with power. They don't want they want to control everything. Um, they don't want to give up uh, too much of their their um, you know whatever it may be. Um, but it's it's I don't know it's just it's just kind of just frustrating that they that they don't think it's 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 uh, necessary. I mean, obviously, uh, like we said before, like they think it's uh, they're not. I mean, they're not ready yet. Uh, I mean, it's been almost three years. We're going into the third year. I mean, like like what 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 is a good time? You know, is it what six years, seven years? Like you know, like some careers are going to be over by then. Are they yeah. going to have pension plans for them? Are they going to have uh, uh, extended benefit, or I mean, healthcare, or you know, like, are there going to be workers' comp? Is it going to be uh, education for after school? Or, I mean, after training, or or after their careers? You know, like, there's so many things that could have been done in those whatever six years, whenever if how long they want to wait. You know, like, it's 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 about time that we can finally, you know, start planning stuff for for players after their career because. You know, I know how it is right now because I retired. But, you know, like what's what's next? I, I luckily have something yeah. that's on my path. But there are gonna be uh, tons of players that are ain't gonna be in the same boat as I am. But without a plan or without a backup, and so those things it needs to be needs to be taken care of. And we can only have that when we have a union. And and you know, like that's that's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously had experience with unions throughout your career. I I've, I, I know what the MLS union does. On our show that I do back in Scotland, we spoke to like one of my team's players is actually the education officer for the Scottish PFA. So we talked about all the stuff that they do to, to help them get prepared for after the game and to get educations and to financial planning and everything like that. So if the league's not doing all that, someone has to do it and that has to be the union. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, you know exactly how it is. And that's it's in Scotland, and that's in Holland, that's in Germany. It's everywhere. It's like that. So why not here? You know, like why do we always have to be uh, be late so late to the party? You know, like it, it could it, we can do this now. You know, we got all the all the pieces there for it. But now it's just a matter of of, of the league also, you know, uh, recognizing us so we can actually put those pieces together and and start something because. You know, it's, it's it's frustrating. Like you know, it's it's not the way it should be. You know, if the sport is is fun, and but you know, there's more than just just playing soccer. You know, like there's more to it. Yeah, like in five, six years, players are, players' careers are, are going to be over, and so we need to we need to look out for them for ourselves. So I mean, just just the last thing on this. I know you don't want to give away too much or tip your hand too much, but. I think most of us realise that if this keeps going the way it's going, 
and they won't do it. It has to end up in the courts. That's just the the only way forward. I think most folk would hope it's not going to because then things get messy, there's expense, there's everything like that. What What's your gut telling you? Do you think it'll get that far or do you think there will be an amicable solution? I know you hope there's going to be an amicable solution, but do, do you... Yeah. Do you think there will? I mean, I hope so. I mean, I I, I would assume so. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's in the best interest for the league to 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 make this public. You know, records are going to be shown public, and I think they they want that as well, right? If 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 you go to court and whatever, like you got to show their books. Oh, you know, everything's out there. Books. Yeah. So you know, if if that is that what they want, I don't think so. Um, but then again, we are willing to take it that far. Um, we've got the backing from from FIFA Pro behind us, you know. Like we're we're you know we're united. Its players are united. Um, but then again, I don't know. I hope I hope not. I don't I don't want to uh, make into this into a public, uh, you know, uh, like yeah. a fight, whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I I honestly don't think uh, it will come that far. But uh, I wish, like I said, I wish I could be that fly on that wall. Well, fingers crossed it all goes good, and I wish you very best. Enjoy your retirement, because I know you're going to be super busy with your new academy, so make the most of some quiet time just now, and like, good luck with everything, Marcel. It's always been a pleasure speaking to you over the years. It's been a pleasure watching you as well, and yeah, just all the very best for your future. Thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks so much to Marcel de Jong for taking the time to sit down and chat with us about his career, his new project, and of course, all things Can PFA. If you want to find out more about Marcel's new academy, you can give them a follow on Instagram. They're there as Football Fundament, and you can also check out their website, footballfundament.com. I think it's great to have Marcel still involved with the union was re-elected president and it just really shows you the passion that he's got for it to be hanging up his boots but still wanting to be involved, to still want to make the game better for the the younger guys that are coming through behind him and having his experience involved is fantastic. If you didn't see the announcement, there's been uh, a new board elected, Ben Fisk is still on it, there's been a, a couple of female members participating to the board for the first time. We hope to be speaking to one of them, Kira McCormick, on a future show as well. But I mean, all in all, it's it's been a good year so far for the Canadian Professional Footballers Association. The union has had a, a good couple of months. They, they've got a strong recruitment drive going. They've got the new board of directors. They joined FIFPRO. They had FIFPRO talking at the their AGM. And they've got a lot of ambitions for the year ahead. They want to get every Canadian professional player around the world as a member of this union, whether they're playing in Canada or not. So they want the CPL guys. They want the MLS guys to be members of both the MLS union and this union as well. They want the national team players, male and female. They want as many women players in this as they can get as well. And as the leagues expand and you've got D2s coming out and more professional leagues, they want... Every single Canadian player. Great ambitions. I'm pretty sure they're going to get a lot of these people. 
The downside though, of course, is they're still not being recognised by the main league for Canadian players, the CPL. Canada Soccer, if they get the national team players in, then they have to look at whether they're going to recognise them as well. If they recognise them and the CPL don't, then that that's some issues there as well. We had David Clanahan on the show a couple of weeks ago and he said the league will recognise the union at the right time, but he feels it's not the right time just now. Is it the right time, Steve? If not, when should be the right time? I, I don't see a harm in them recognising them at any point uh, because of the fact that um, recognising it, I don't think... Uh, and, and you could, you could recognize them if you have come to an agreement that uh, there won't be a, like a CBA negotiations for a couple of years. It's very important for this league to um, run at least another year where there isn't COVID limitations um, to for attendance and stuff like that. Um, and and the thing is, is I hope the union does recognize that the the fact that if they push too hard on the league. Um, it could potentially, you could lose actual jobs for the people you want to represent. And I think that's they're very important for them to realize that. I'm sure they do. And that's why I think the union should um, uh, let the, the league know that. And the league in turn should uh, kind of be in partnership with them in that, that they realize they will recognize them to give them a good standing in Canada. Uh, but uh, also with the agreement that we need a couple of years to grow the league before we can go into like a CBA negotiation. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Steve. Um, I think they need to be recognized sooner rather than later. I think the, the recognition needs to come not at the, the uh, enforcement of, of courts or legal procedures, and but I do think that it needs to come with uh, an understanding that, like, uh, the, the union will be recognized, but when they will begin their engagement in things like negotiations with the league, uh, with the CPL specifically, but there will be a time for that as well. So it's like, I think they should be recognized now, and but with the understanding that their first formal negotiations with the league will maybe happen for let's say the 2022 season or the 2023 season kind of thing. If there, if there's some can be middle ground on that, I think that would be helpful. We sort of talked about this in the past, but I think this is coming a little bit quicker than the owners had anticipated. Um, and I mean, it's coming because of how they set things up and some of the low wages and stuff we've talked about in the past. But um, what we, what we don't know is what the owner's plans are, were, are in terms of keeping costs where they are, where they, where they have been. Right. So we know that uh, there's that the number of I think it was seven hundred fifty thousand, whether that was for the whole roster or for the whole operation or whatever, a salary budget cap thing. We don't know what their internal plan is to keep that where it is or raise it and stuff. And so um, it it would be interesting to know if if they're ever going to be forthright about that. But their plan for moving forward and and those kind of numbers will impact I think when the the whole timing question, right? Um, and hopefully, even just the the, the league being coming, the the union uh, getting to where it is now is even putting more pressure on them to either make that public or to maybe even push up their plans for when they wanted to see things pro- progress. Uh, you know, uh, in terms of impacting the overall amount they're spending on players and player rights and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm genuinely surprised that when the league launched that the Players' Union wasn't launched right away because to me, it goes hand in hand. 
throughout sport and it's like it's not a new concept in football it's like it exists all over the world as FIFA Pro rightly shows so I, I'm surprised it didn't start all at once it's obviously tough to to get something like this up and running but I think the the can PFA have basically shown how quickly you can get something done and they they've strengthened numbers I mean the, the league has to recognize them at some point and I feel the time is right just now if we're having a full season or as full a season as possible, this would seem the ideal time to do it. Even if they recognise them before the season starts and they say, well, this year and even the next year, they waive their collective bargaining agreement per se, but they are working closely together. That might be the common middle ground. But there's absolutely no reason for them not to recognise it now. And the longer this goes on, it's... Folk are just going to be like, well, why? Well, why? And more questions are going to get asked and more media things are going to get asked. You've got Neil Davidson writing about this in mainstream media after Marcel de Jong was elected president. So, I mean, that's a big, big thing that raises the profile of it. Having FIFA Pro involvement raises the profile of it. I just, just, they need to just recognise it ASAP and then move to learn to work together because it's recognising it and then working out your working conditions but if this ends up in court I see it as a lose-lose for for both parties eventually the union going through the courts they're going to get recognized no problem yeah. at all but it's that's, not good for anyone to have to that's go where, to court that's where I do believe him I know that he probably I, I do agree with Zach that he probably doesn't want the union but I know he I know he's I'm assuming he's smart enough to recognize that it's inevitable so there's no point of starting off this relationship in court so I think they're just waiting and delaying it as much as possible, seeing how strong they are, how many people sign up. And then once they have a certain number that they know that are, they're going to have to recognize, I think they'll recognize at this point. And, and it could be just be maybe, maybe they recognize them just before the start of the season. And that gets the, uh, the, the views of the media on them. Maybe they're trying to use this as a marketing ploy where why would you recognize them so early before the season kicks off? Maybe you announce it. Yeah, we recognize the Canadian Union. Makes them look good. Uh, gets people excited for this league. People go, people see it on the normal newspaper pages, like the business paper, wherever the union news goes to. Um, they see that on those papers instead of just the sports pages. Steve, that 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 is a really good perspective. However, I don't think I don't think it. No, fits. I know that, but I'm just saying that's what you're they right. You're right. Well, no, yeah. I mean that is the right thing to do because folk would look so favorably on them. And if you're getting fans in the stadiums and all the supporters groups have come out and backed the union recognition, you can be pretty sure that once fans are there, there's going to be like TIFOs and protests oh, yeah. and stuff and like that at the games. We, we talked about the, support, the supporter statement. It's come out, but it's actually increased. It's, it continues. I, I can't remember the number it's at now, but more and more groups uh, from places that want teams or whatever have been added to it. So it went from like eight to like 13 or whatever. There's sure. groups from across Canada saying, yeah, we back this and we want this and we think this is important. The thing we're going to court as well is they have to do it on a provincial basis. So they have to go into a lot of courtrooms. Oh, yeah, it doesn't seem that seems less reasonable than actually recognizing them. Yeah. And fingers crossed this isn't an issue that drags on because you want to be talking about the league on the pitch. You want to be talking about all the positives of it. It's the big elephant in the room. It's the big dark cloud hanging over the league. Surely at some point common sense is going to prevail because the union's not going away it's only going to get stronger 
and you want to have a good working relationship with it, you don't want to be like MLS, where they work with their players' union, but the players have lost all respect for the league, and it's very tense negotiations. And just think, this is a relationship. How many good relationships begin in a courtroom? Yeah. So fingers crossed it doesn't come to that. I'm sure we'll be covering the topic a lot more this year, hopefully with more positive stuff. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. I'll be back on Twitter in the next week or so. You can find me there at ZacharyAM. And I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online, AFTN Canada on Twitter. AFTN.ca is our website for all your Whitecaps and MLS stuff, podcasts and a lot more. And please give us a like, subscribe and a thumbs up on YouTube. YouTube.com backslash AFTN Canada. We're trying to get our numbers up. We're trying to get to a thousand to get the monetization going on our videos. We've got quite a few things that we hope to get up on YouTube this month. Thanks to MDS for sitting down for a chat. Thanks to Marcel de Jong as well. To Eve Powell out in Montreal. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. I think it's been a, a very enjoyable show. I've really enjoyed our variety of content. I hope you have too. So until next time, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.